The Red 78. Once we were back, we were back for a period That was when the uh, televisions were in black and white, Quinn. Yeah, that's but right. Was, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> big buttons and no remote. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Okay, so we had one of the big sporting dilemmas of our time last night. Uh, if you're an Irish Manchester United fan, what do you who who do you find yourself rooting for when it's Liverpool versus Rangers? I think probably in the end, uh, events conspired to make it fairly obvious who you wanted to win. But uh, was there any point in before kickoff before uh, any incidents that you were thinking, Shane? Yeah, I, I was very much on the fence. I think. Uh, very much on the fence, um, and then of course, Until. well, of course, the, the booze started ringing out across Anfield for um, "You Never Walk Alone," um, the Champions League anthem as well. I, I, surely you've booed "You'll Never Walk Alone" at some point in yeah, your life. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because so you, you and Rangers fans are the same. That's what I'm hearing here. Yeah, well, it, 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 Irish, uh, Celtic, Manchester United fans are, are uh, a bit, a bit hypocritical because we, you know, I've, I've been over at a, at a couple of Celtic games. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a Celtic fan. I don't follow them as closely as other people do. But I've been over a couple of matches and probably joined in the singing of "You Never Walk Alone" at different points when I was a, a teenager. And you loved it, I'd say. And really loved it. You were like, this is class. What a great tune. I, mean, I wish it was mine. But, but it, it was Man United, of course. That's the thing, isn't it? It robbed. Robbed from the history books. Um, so I, I actually think, yeah, I think a lot of United fans look on with a little bit of silent jealousy when it's sang at, yeah. at, at Anfield. And well, those, those three or four minutes before kick-off at Anfield are genuinely a special thing. Yeah. Know? Spine uh, chills up the spine. I think uh, it's just one of the one of those nights, and I think we've said it recently. Celtic Park on the European night is one of those nights I want to experience before I'm dead. Um, well, you've got a bit of time. I got a little bit of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully, Fox ticking, though, you know, for all of us, we're all we're all trying to aim to go to happy the, Wednesday morning. Everybody, yeah, happy Wednesday morning. Uh, no morbid talk here anymore. But uh, John Duggan picked a bad enough game to go to last night. I mean, flew to Frankfurt. Uh, but to be fair to John, I mean, you got to experience the the Frankfurt culture and the the food and the. I did hear beers. that they. Uh, I did hear there was uh, fans on Talksport calling for uh, Pochettino in. That's what they're they're calling. <laughs> they're like they had enough of this Conte. So they they don't want to see any of this qualifying for the Champions League malarkey. That's not good enough. Fickle football fans. You need to be uh, swashbuckling. <laughs> Bring back the spirit of Ozzy Ardiles and the defensive solidity of Antonio Conte and Mauricio Pochettino. He's he's that perfect blend, you know. <laughs> yeah, if only they they tried that before. Um, it, it's it's one of those. When I saw John heading over, I was like, you know what? You have to you have to bite the bullet and go to these matches when you get the chance. I've actually booked in um, a day trip to Villa Park, Jer, for November sixth, Sunday, November sixth. Uh, to see Aston Villa versus Manchester United it's just one of those stadiums I've always wanted it's a lovely to see. stadium yeah. so uh, I'm going to take that off the list uh, paid for by the way by um, indirectly by, by Owen Sheehan so the you, you might recall about over a year ago Owen was missing a flight or missed a flight oh, yeah. which which, uh, which, oh. which meant I had to then oh, fill in yeah. very very late notice Ryanair got involved in this on, on Twitter and, and started tweeting to me because I got involved of course in so just to, just to explain exactly what happened Owen was in Paris yeah, and that was had, had stayed up all night partying which we later discovered on somebody else's Instagram yeah. and had um, missed his uh, bus to Beauvais he, now that he's gone we can tell the story yeah, we, actually, we have the video of, the, of him at the party but we, we felt like you know, it didn't quite fit in with the, the tone of his going away yeah. and um, so he's like texting Ryanair on 
on Twitter, I'd say, still up, going, hey, Eddie can hold play for me, and he can see it out the window, and uh, you, I don't know what you did, you, you literally just came in and worked for him. Yeah, I basically had to, a reasonably late notice, come in and fill in, which I didn't mind doing, of course. But, and so, but Ryanair took the piss out of him, like, non-stop, just took the piss out of him on Twitter all day, and to the point where, when he was going away, they were like, oh, Owen, we'll always have Paris. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you're, this is uh, obviously... They never forgot. No. But the only person to make any profit out of the day, Owen missed his flight and then had to book another one and I think he had to stay overnight. The only one, for whatever reason, Ryanair were like, oh yeah, Shane, you can have a... Like, I think they, I, I used the sympathy card on, on Twitter and I was like, oh, I can't believe I have to get up so early tomorrow. I, I wasn't even planning on that. Cheers, Owen. And Ryanair slid into my DMs and said, here's a 50 euro voucher for flights. Use it by next September. Nearly forgot about it, but re- re- somehow remembered it two days before the deadline and said, right, where will I book flights for? Birmingham. Aston Villa. Let's go. The only place in the world you can go to for 50 quid. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to think, uh, my, my list of, of potential destinations was fairly limited, but uh, yeah, so thank you, Owen, and thank you, Reiner, for my, my trip to Birmingham next month. Listen, you're, I, I realise you're just toadying for more free flights from Ryanair. That's what's going on here. We, we get that. But uh, it's a good stadium, and I hope he gets spanked. Um, the Villa uh, United games have actually been better and more interesting and less one-sided yeah. in uh, recent seasons including where Villa won at uh, Old Trafford for the, the, lo- the location of course of the Ryan Giggs Harry Chest moment 30 years um, so there's all these moments that uh, as United fans you look back and think oh yeah that was that was in Villa Park uh, great FA Cup semi-final stadium it was yeah until obviously they ruined it by putting the semis in Wembley too yeah cash in slash pay back the, uh, the new Wembley we are burying the lead here though so the, the Irishman United fans uh, were definitely uh, you know they were up for Liverpool last night yeah what what was it what was the, the apart from the booing what else was there that swung you in that direction uh, do you know what um, saw a story kind of since the game and also before the game where whereby the pubs in Liverpool the Irish pubs in Liverpool now bear in mind these are Irish pubs so it pretty much says it over the door Irish pub um, Lanigan's being one of the famous ones in Liverpool um, being told by and look I get that this is probably standard protocol for safety reasons but being told by police and, and uh, the licensers as well that they had to uh, you know employ extra staff on the door uh, plastic cups I get all that um, take down the tricolours take down the Irish tricolours outside the pub Uh it's PC gone mad, isn't it? I just don't get it, Jer. Because I, I understand the need, like the fact that they're already advertising as an Irish pub, um, and it's probably said above most of the Irish pubs in, in Liverpool that it is that exactly that. Um, you know, having the Irish tricolours doesn't exactly add to it. Maybe it incites the Rangers fans to see them because I know they'll have their their Union Jacks with them in in full force. But um, yeah, that was just one thing that grinded my gears, Jer. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if it was official advice. The pubs, Lanigans especially, seem to be kind of saying this is yeah, this was advice, and we were we would, it was advice that we had to take essentially yeah. um, for, for safety reasons. And I know, look, to to, to stop any outset of trouble in, in in Liverpool last night, it was probably a wise enough move. But Rangers yeah. fans have such a peace loving reputation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we always always remember the the Zenit game, the the Europa League final, um, where they. They obviously uh, tore Manchester asunder, but these things happen. And, and uh, look, whether or not it was advice the pubs had to t- had to take, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, it just it just strikes me as bizarre that they had to take down the Irish tricolours when it's already written above the the pub in big writing Irish bar. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's like uh, it's like the coming from Munster to Leinster, different language. Jason Jackets had to learn. Maybe the coming from Glasgow to 
Liverpool, they wouldn't have understood that. It was it was only yeah, the flag yeah. that they that would have like, oh, oh, the flag, we must attack the flag. It's always about the flags. Uh, so, yes, a roundabout way of me saying, yeah, I was supporting Liverpool last night. Right, how did that feel? Did it feel good? Did it feel a little bit dirty? Did it feel good? Were you cheering when uh, Alexander Ross stuck it in the corner? Were you like, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, Do you know, oh, this is a bit confusing. I actually wanted it. I wanted a good game last night. I think everyone had a feeling when Trent was standing over the free kick that it was it was absolutely going to go top ins. Uh, he just, he, my dad actually said it just before he, he struck the ball he said he looks like a man who's about to score a free kick you know when you can just tell someone in, someone in their eyes usually before a penalty and a sh- during a shootout you can kind of tell the body language uh, Trent's body language before the free kick um, was the epitome of a man who was about to do some damage uh, right in front of the Rangers fans as well uh, what a free kick it was but good free kick yeah good free kick can I just um, can we just can we just talk about this the, the, the narrative hashtag narrative about all of this <laughs> What, that he's dispelled all of the well, it's just defending it's issues. Just, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's like he's answered his critics. He's answered his critics. So the critics of Trent Alexander-Arnold, what do they say? What, what, what is it that the critics of Trent Alexander... Trent magic helps hit back at critics. Ta-da! This is the back of the star. And it's everywhere. Sends out message to doubters as his stunning free kick thinks Rangers. Ridiculous. Alexander-Arnold silences the critics to give Rangers a headache in Glasgow Les Cruz. Yeah. What, what did the critics say about Trent Alexander-Arnold? Is it that he's no good at attacking creativity? Is it that he can't find a pass? Is it that he's he can't whip in crosses? Is it that from dead balls he's useless? Is it, is, they're, they're, that seems... I, don't, I'm, I might have missed that narrative. But the critics are saying he can't defend, mm-hmm. which the whole world agrees with. Yeah, and so, um, how does scoring a free kick? You know, a good free kick, very good free kick. Not his first one, obviously. So he's very good at it. It's like again, it's one of those things that everybody says he's good at. Mm-hmm. How does that answer his critics? Yeah. Oh, he shut it down. That's all his critics, isn't he? Yeah. Well, if he'd like, you know, message to Gareth Southgate with with free kick that Southgate didn't know he could hit, sticking in the left wing. You know, I don't know. Uh, it I was just, like funny. I wouldn't be a massive wouldn't be a massive fan necessarily of Michael Owen uh, on punditry. He's not bad, but uh, he's not great either. Um, but straight away last night he was asked about it at half time. I think it was maybe it was full time. But he was asked. He said, "Oh, Trent has, has really silenced the critics tonight, hasn't he, did Michael?" He, did he? And he was like, "Oh no." No, Michael's response was, "Well, was nobody's ever doubted the fact that he can hit a free kick." I'm on Team Michael Owen here. Yeah, yeah, I know. Who was asking that question? I was it Jake. Was it Jake? It could have been Jake. High performance. Yeah. So well, he's really outperformed his critics there, hasn't he? <laughs> it was a bit of a bizarre. It was no. Jake, in fact. No, he hasn't. Um, he hasn't, Jake. No, it was a strange one, and and I don't know how well he played. He probably like there's probably other, like Van Dijk probably stood out more. Simicast probably stood out more than Trent Rangers, as well. Rangers had their chances. Like Rangers had some chances. There was a little bit of work for Allison to do. Some um, there was a goal line clearance at one point, and like, like you know. And um, I see I see someone did say uh, Darwin Nunes starting to answer his critics of oh. the comeback performance last night. Just, just stick it in the net there just stick it in the net next time and, and that'll do are the Liverpool fans happy do you think that you're, you're back I'd love to hear from the Spurs fans this morning Bobby where are you uh, about their performance last night um, the, the Matt Doherty thing you know maybe, maybe Matt Doherty might be this creative spark that they need maybe it's all the narrative hashtag for Matt Doherty's comeback will be Lazarus like I yeah. Lazarus reborn well we're going to yeah we're going to see oh, obviously we'll follow the Irish narratives we had, we had Matt Doherty 
hopefully going to respond to the critics. We had Cueven Keller sitting behind Jurgen Klopp last night, finally oh, returned he, from yeah, injury. Okay, it's good. So he's going to be back. He's apparently going to do some time with the 21s um, before he. He was on the bench, was he? He was on the bench. Right. Two, they had both Adrian and, and Keller, in fact, on the bench last night. Um, but probably going to make a Carabao Cup appearance later. Is it later this month? Or it's early next month, I think. So that'll probably be his next senior appearance. A lot of 21s games between now and then. Um, and Jeff Hendrick. Scoring his first goal for Reading last night against Norwich. Andrew Amabamadeli on the pitch for Norwich. Um, Jeff has he's been playing well for Reading. I think they're third in the championship table now. But yeah, um, yeah, it's like that was a top of the table clash. Yeah, big game. Um, but Paul Ince full of full of praise for Jeff Henry last night. I'm just reading some of the quotes here in front of me, Jer. Um, outstanding, Jeff Hendrick. He said. Uh, which is which is something like we spoke about this last week uh, on the outside of the Irish game, and Jeff doesn't really get any praise, uh, much praise whatsoever. When he ha- when he ha- when he has an average game, he gets criticised any more than other before players. Before the summer, team. before the summer when he lost his place, everybody and even at the start of that summer window, everybody was raving about his influence on the Irish team and him being the one who could. And then even when he wasn't in the team, people were like, "Oh, he could have a really good impact on keeping the ball." And then they put him in the team, and he just. He didn't perform. Maybe there's a lot of pressure on him at that stage. But like we're going to need Jeff Hendrick a lot over the qualifying campaign, yeah. particularly because midfielders pick up bookings. Um, that uh, Reading team is really interesting. Andy Carroll, Tom Ince, Jeff Hendrick, Junior Hoylett. Uh, there's a few other um, names that you would know from the nether yeah. regions of the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, it's it's actually nice. To, I remember uh, visiting the Medeski, uh a couple of years ago. At the time I interviewed uh, Clive Tilsley in the in the in the press country, and it was obviously an empty stadium that day. But the the security guys were and the, the ticketing people on the door there were looked after me so well that day, and they were like, "Come, come on back to the Medeski for a game." They're not they're not getting any fans really at, at that point in time. They were kind of struggling a little bit. Um, but I'd love to go to a, a Reading game over in the Medeski, uh, especially when there's a bit of an Irish interest there. You kind of want to get over and see. Uh, but yeah. To see Andy Carroll as well and Tom Ince and a few of these ah, players look, that you're Andy like, Carroll, you know. Familiarity to that team. There is. Uh, a, a nice, warm, comfort blanket. And they're doing really, really well in the Championship at the moment. Like, you know, you'd say they're not quite odds on. It's very early at this stage. But more than likely, they'll be in the um, playoff shake, at least, if not gu- guaranteed to be in the playoffs. And, um, you know, Paul Ince still plugging away after all these years. So uh, we are going to talk about Liverpool. Uh, we should probably do our coming up for you and tell you what's uh, going to happen. Brendan Egan's going to join us to talk to us about his experience of playing under Brian Mullins obviously a Sligo footballer joined Vincent and played under Brian for a while Brian Mullins funerals this morning sports pages at uh, 10 past 8 Harriet Pryor of the Anfield Rap is going to join us at half 8 uh, we'll talk about the change in formation is this tactical flexibility from Jurgen Klopp or is he bottling it I mean because there's nowhere in between is there um, <laughs> sports news at 8.50 you had to be there is Matt Jarvis the uh, former Premier League winger whose list is lit Absolutely. Uh, we're going to play out some Tim Vickery from last night about the Brazilian election situation and the influence of the footballers who, um, who are all, uh, you know, basically Trump fans, in essence. Mm. Uh, it turns out footballers and their politics, uh, certainly in Brazil, are interesting. They're happy to lend their names to whatever. It was a fascinating discussion with, with Tim last night. I was listening to it in the drive up this morning um, and it puts it into context so well, Tim, as he always does, but you forget you forget how how divisive it is um, like you, you obviously hope that Bolsonaro from a lot of people's perspective um, 
doesn't get back in. I think it's the first time since in a long time that the, the Brazilian president hasn't automatically been re-elected straight away without much of a, um, a com- bit of competition. Uh, but yeah, the, fo- the footballers thing is, is bizarre. Thiago Silva even having the, the Bolsonaro-led slogan on his social media page on the day of the on the day of the event. I think, uh, as the lads were saying la- last night, Nike have stopped allowing Bolsonaro um, and his rival actually from having. The, the name of the of the presidential candidates in the back of those Brazilian yellow jerseys because it's kind of been taken over as a political symbol and slogan almost um, which is kind of sad to see and especially in the World Cup year it's going to be interesting over the next couple of months because obviously the World Cup is what brings all of Brazil together um, but it seems like a country a little bit divided at the moment in terms of politics but the footballers the footballers angle is, is, is crazy Neymar was obviously the big one um, but you know the, the I guess Tim's point last night was that there's links here to religion, of course, and um, I guess that the message that the Bolsonaro puts forward is is quite heavily linked to religion. Um, now he was spotted in the last couple of days in a, in a Freemasons lodge, or giving a talk in a Freemasons lodge, Bolsonaro, which has kind of um, perhaps alienated that element of of his support as well, the religious element. Um, so it remains to be seen. I think the runoff is October thirtieth. There were wild scenes of celebration right across Dublin um, when the first result came out. Uh, the Brazilian population in Ireland is huge and they add so much to our lives and um, I really wish them all the best um, which obviously you know there's going to be a month of um, uh, politicking and electioneering so we'll see exactly what happens with that one 7.46 this morning if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you 0879 is the WhatsApp number Jesus Shane I hope you haven't paid too much all that money just to see United lose there's good Irish pubs in Digbeth Digbeth, right? I, I, I don't. It's Chris Kyle. I actually don't really mind, but like the the result, it's more about experiencing a new Premier League stadium for me, Chair. Like the Villa Park was number one on my list. Probably Craven should, Cottage is next. Should go to uh, uh, Cadbury's factory in Bourneville is um, is good. Sounds pretty grim. Um, I've, I've been over to Birmingham a couple of times for. Well, I mean, you're not going to Birmingham for the tourism. No, 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 no. You really it, aren't. It was literally for astronaut autograph events in the Hilton Hotel next to the airport. Right, back when I, in, I think it was 2009-10 sort of time. Wow. Um, so we're going back a bit. but So I, I, would, I would fly over, stay in the Hilton Hotel beside the airport and never, never leave. So I've never actually seen Birmingham. The Cadbury's factory is great. Is it actually? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, Sorry. no, it's like um, lots of nice, I, I don't feel like chocolate. Like, you see, the, the, you're an athlete, I keep forgetting this. Yes, I can't eat chocolate, of course, Jack, come on. Um, the Peaky, I'm a big fan of Peaky, Peaky Blinders. I know... The problem is, I don't think it was filmed in Birmingham. I think it was maybe filmed in Manchester. I think so, yeah. So that kind of takes away some of the lure. Um, yeah, you want, but then again, you, I might just. My brother's going to come over with me. We get one of the piggy hats and kind of just walk around Birmingham and put on the Brummie accent as best we can. And uh, Nunez looks like he would have suited the Liverpool counter-attacking style from a few years ago. I'm not sure he suits the more possession-based style of the current team. Says Paul Quirk. I think he's going to be. I don't know. Is he going to be fine? Looks like he's probably going to be fine. He has the game to be fine. He just needs to stick a few chances away. Um, it's just. It's not great that the situation where they were the most irrepressible attacking force in world football for a number of seasons seemed to be based around Mo Salah being like absolutely dynamite. And at the moment, Salah's just not being offered the same opportunities as he was. He's being very creative. I think his, his stats for um, chances created are off the charts. Mm for this season but you just would like somebody else to be also creating something and giving it to Mo Salah and then him scoring those crazy goals that we've seen him score because that's the thing that catapults you from a good team into a team that's on the coattails of Manchester City yeah he was creative enough last night like Salah had a good game last night overall you'd have to say um, probably uh, obviously getting used to the new formation I don't know how, how long or, for, or how often Klopp is going to 
used this formation? Is it is it his new thing? Because we've had six years of of not this. So the fact that he's turned around and, and changed it, probably a good thing. If he was ever going to change, it had to be. It had to be now. I mean, it's it's literally. I mean, the season hasn't gone too well from so far. So uh, yeah, and I think on the Nunez thing, he will come good. He needs a bit of game time. He needs a bit of confidence. Uh, his movement off the ball was was pretty decent last night. He just needs to hit the back of the onion bike, um, and it needs to happen fairly quick. Because the longer it goes on, I mean, his confidence is going to be shot. And you have someone like Firmino coming off the bench who has proven himself again this season. Not that we already didn't know what he could do, but but there were doubts when Nunez was signed that, that maybe his, his place in the back in order was, was, was removed. I think if you're a Liverpool fan, Jerry, this morning, you're going to be, you're going to be pretty pleased. Um, but for Alan McGregor and goals last night for Rangers, it would have been 5 or 6 nil. So um, yeah, it's a two 0 that there probably should have and could have been more. I would say for Liverpool. Liverpool singing the fields of Anfield Road, a bastardised version of an anti-colonial song, really pisses me off. Says ninety three Rubik's Cube. Also in our YouTube comments this morning. Yeah, but then I suppose uh, Liverpool know. fairly strong established. You know, as a as a place. Well, uh, in terms of anti-colonialism, they certainly are right. fairly established. Um, they not allowed, you know. United fans do take take me home, country ro- uh, United roads, so they do. I guess bastardise the John Denver classic. I mean, you know, it's a John Denver. It's like poor John Denver. Are you are you casting? Are you throwing stones from your glass houses there? You know, fans. Are you just yeah, just loud. <laughs> like from your Crystal Palace. Yeah, it's not like football fans to to ruin songs. And finally, we've we've enticed Bobby Dwyer out. He says uh, Spurs were decent last night. We created a few good chances, and the end product was poor. Decent point away from home in Europe with a clean sheet. We need two wins out of three, and we've two home games. No panic. No panic. That's fair enough. Don't uh, panic. But John Duggan on, on, on Twitter last night was, was not panicking, but he was like, you know, for the creative talent in that, that Spurs forward line, it was not good enough that they can't create chances um, and, and take them. But yeah, I think Bob's point is fair. It's probably something I had considered. It's an away point to the Europa League champions. Um, the, the Europa League trophy sitting in that Eintracht Frankfurt Museum, if the Spurs fans decided to visit it before the game last night, probably a, a beckoning of maybe what's to come for, for Spurs this season. Uh, that's going to be a tight group. Like for for Spurs to get out of that one, it's it's not going to be easy. I know Marseille are going to have something to say about it in Porto as well. So. Also, Napoli the best team in Europe at the moment. Are we, do we, oh. we, yeah, we remember we should talk about this a little bit later on. We'll come back to this a little bit later on. But <clears throat> you know, all of a sudden uh, being whooped by Napoli is like, oh, we weren't that bad. Yeah, we were pretty bad, but we weren't that bad. Uh, so an interesting night in the Champions League last night. Um, Barcelona feeling like they were robbed a little bit, um, and maybe they have a case this time. But you know. Um, they seem to have been uh, relatively flexible with the financial rules over the last while, so mm, I don't know. Maybe um, you reap what you sow. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. If you've got a view on anything that you want to get off your chest, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number if you uh, want to talk about the football tonight or the football last night, or you want to uh, share your memories of Brian Mullins, then now would be a good time to do that. We're going to talk to the former Sligo footballer Brendan Egan about his memories of the late great Brian Mullins next. But first, here's comic coach Andy Friend at their press conference yesterday bemoaning the stop-start nature of the games at the start of the season. Yeah, I'm seeing, honestly, uncharacteristic errors from from players that um, normally don't make those. Uh, I'm also seeing a really stop-start affair in all the games that we've had. You know, we, we pride ourselves on being a team that wants to play fast. Well, I think... We've had an average of about 33 minutes of football in the first three games, um, which is way too low. We were, we sat at 35 and a half or 36 last year. So, um, and, and we've played against you know two teams in the Stormers and the Bulls, um, respectfully, that, that they like to play a reasonably open brand of footy. But we've had 
you know, a penalty count of 36 in the last game, not not against us, 21 to opposition, 15 against us. So, um, yeah, the, the game's just so stop-starty, mate, and you, we just can't get flow. And then and then with that flow, we're then making the errors. So, um, yeah, I, 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 there's a frustration around that. We then get players trying to, to create something and possibly come a little bit off script, which maybe throws other people out. Um, so there's an energy and desire to fix the thing, but we just need to be really collective with that, and and I'm comfortable and confident that we'll get there. Geez, I hope so, mate. <laughs> you, you don't want to, you know, you, you, we can't ask for a, a, a bigger game. Our first game at home, a brand new pitch in front of family and friends, and and against Munster. You know, what else? What else do you want? Um, ideally, we'd like a couple of wins sitting behind us, but we don't have that. We had a, you know, I thought what was a, a really good performance in a preseason game against Sale, where we showed, you know, some really positive elements of our rugby and our our fight. Um, I've seen that fight in in uh, the last couple of games, which has been really positive to see. But we need to be more than that. We need to be accurate. We need to be, uh, we need to keep showing that fight, and we need to try and tie those two things together on Friday night. Yeah, that's Andy Friend talking about the game on Friday night. We'll preview that in more detail with Alan Quinlan a little bit later on in the week, but it's a big, big game from Connacht's perspective on their new 4G pitch. Now, we want to move on, and um, this morning, Brian Mullins will be laid to rest. Uh, I'm delighted to say we have with us in studio Brendan Egan, who, of course, played football for Sligo, is also a professor of sport and exercise physiology at TCU, but more important in this context, is a member of St. Vincent's now. Uh, when did you transfer to Vincent's? Uh, that was in 2013. Right. So I had actually known Brian professionally because I had been lecturing at UCD from 2011. Right. So our paths actually crossed more, crossed more on a professional basis prior to, I think he became our senior football manager in 2017. Okay, so right. Did he have any influence in uh, which club you joined when you moved to Dublin? No, funny enough, he didn't, actually. I had very little interaction with him in those first couple of years. The reason I joined St. Vincent's was I had been a student in DCU for a long time, had uh, trained uh, under Mickey Whelan quite a bit, had spent the odd summer when I wasn't with Sligo, then trained with St. Vincent's, so it was a logical step, yeah. It's funny how the, the link with Mickey Whelan and the link with Kevin Heffernan mm. and Brian Mullins, it's all part of the same, like in America we call it a coaching tree, yeah, but yeah. it's like um, their imprint on Irish sport is so deep and mm. particularly at an academic level and I think that it's interesting that um, you, you were at UCD because I think like everybody's been talking about his influence on the football field mm. and like clearly that dublin Kerry rivalry is something that catapults Gaelic football mm. out of the casual out of the interest of, exclusively of, of Gaelic football fans mm. and into the mainstream it mm. becomes this absolutely massive cultural yeah. event and I, you know, I think loads of people better qualified than me have talked about that but I'd, I'd love to get your t- your take on how influential his role in UCD has been because mm. what they did by really investing heavily and talking about the scholarship system it kind of kick-started that whole mm. thing but then apart from that they also took sports seriously as an academic thing yeah. and that's very important yeah look I mean the, it, there's a huge amount of tributes are flowing in on the on the football side but obviously there's many facets to Brian's life and one of them was around that that whole area of director of sport in UCD and uh, the influence that he had over there and the again the positive impacts he had on so many people you know are unbelievable over there as well and yeah at that time and it was true of many universities there was sport wasn't taken so seriously you know people people who were competing took it seriously but universities probably weren't funding it to any great 
extent but then putting in place positions of of that like a director of sport having someone like Brian who you know his his ability to pull people together and get everyone ro- going in the same direction I mean his leadership from that point of view like that really did catapult UCD along in that way and I think you've probably heard the stories of his instrumental role in bringing Leinster onto campus and everything that flowed from that so well Leinster yeah. said that he was he was um, you know the most welcoming of the people there I didn't realize that he kind of had been helpful in engineering to get them there because they're a real anchor tenant it's like Huge, yeah. you know high-end uh, world-class performance mm. team is situated in UCD on a day-in day-out basis I, I don't know if everybody fully appreciates that like the training ground is literally on the UCD yeah, campus yeah, yeah. And, uh, and like you say he was part of that and uh, generally that's one element of the campus over there but there's a huge amount then just on the general sports side of things that he was involved in in terms of the expansion of their facilities and he was, had a very uh, prominent role as well in their healthy campus initiatives as well so touching every aspect of you know the quality of life over there on the campus I think one of the other things is most people who um, would have seen or been aware of him as a, a, a public persona you know it's the gruff footballer <laughs> he's hard as nails but actually when you meet him he's yeah. a lovely man I know unbelievably rewarding uh, smile and uh, character yeah, when you get to know him and uh, you know it's funny over the last few days a lot of what people have said you know, people sometimes distance themselves when they're talking about someone who's passed away they say you know that person will be missed or something but people I speak to they're all saying I will miss him you know that's the way it's, people sort of felt about him was that they got, when they got to know him and they knew his personality and how rewarding it was to be in his company you know that, that's what people are going to miss It's funny as well like uh, some of the stories uh, Brendan as well that, that seem to I know it's a cliche to say that, that you only really find out about a person properly when, when mm. they die but some of the stories that have come out about him you know I didn't realise that he was such a talented multi-talented sports person <laughs> yeah. in terms of rugby and cricket as well yeah. uh, and even the recovery from his car accident years mm. ago to, to kind of recuperate but it's one of those things that there's so many stories that have come out about Brian in the last couple of days. It's quite quite incredible and, and a testament to him as well. Oh, yeah. And, like, uh, he had that joy for life. The, the first interaction I had with him in, in the context of St. Vincent's and him as their manager was uh, we had we had just lost the All-Ireland semi-final to Slough Neal and our, our management team at that time had moved on. And it was a difficult team to take over because we'd had so much success over the previous three to four years. There's a lot of us who were fairly well on, big personalities, and uh, you know I'd say no one in the club wanted it, but Brian was probably the only person that could take it on, given his his status and his you know his ability, as I said, to bring people together. But the it was you know sometime in in March, weather was really bad, we couldn't go out on the pitch. So his first session, he calls, he brings us all into the hall in St Vincent's, which is a small hall, you know, typical of a, of, a, of a club, and we thought, oh, this is just going to be a chat. He decides we're going to have a training session. And so he's got the balls there, and it was the, the way the hall had been set up. There was like there was chairs along the side. It hadn't been tied for playing football or any sport at all. And he decides we're still going to have a session. So we're standing, you know, ten, fifteen yards away from each other, just kicking the ball back and forth, hand passing back and forth. He gets bored of that and he decides, right, we're going to have a game. And it was some kind of a hybrid game of netball and GAA. And of course, as I said, we were all a bit cynical at this stage. And I was looking around, going, "This is ridiculous. It's unsafe. Like there's probably puddles of water. You know, it was raining heavily, or whatever." And the next thing I look around, and there he was in the middle of it all. It's big smile on his face, arms out looking for the ball, hitting off other fellas, elbowing them out of the way. And I mean, you just had to laugh at the uh, at how much he was, how much enthusiasm he had for it, and how up for it he was. And yeah, that was something that he took on then for the few years that he was with us. Yeah, go on. You wouldn't want to batter into him either, I'd say. No, like I mean that's he's unbelievably big. Like so, I don't know. You've probably heard people talk about the size of his hands, but like I mean, <laughs> there was no getting past him if that hand was laid on you. That's for sure. Um, that uh, that team, you, you talk about it, full of characters. So there's uh, yourself, Jared Brennan. Mossy, 
uh, Connolly, I can't mm. imagine it was an easy dressing room to walk into, who, who had been beaten in an All-Ireland semi-final, mm. obviously felt like there was more there for them. Yeah, and and like we had at that time, we were probably pushing it, you know, the standards uh, higher than most had been, you know, at club level in terms of the, our approach, um, the way we use video analysis, the work we put in on the opposition, that kind of thing, and um, we obviously wanted that to continue, and in fairness Brian was, he was a more old school he probably didn't realise getting into it that that's the level that things had gone to uh, at that point, but again, testament to him, like he adapted very quickly realised that you know with just the right uh, sort of tools and cokes and whatever he could get us all moving in the same direction and we won the championship that year actually as it happened last to Rathnewgan in the in the Leinster Championship but uh, yeah continued on the success in the first year anyway His son Nathan was on that team and he did a lovely tribute on social media as well calling his dad his, his superhero um and uh, you know that was that was a good team you guys had. Yeah, um, that at that time I suppose it was uh, we were getting on in age, um, and over the n- next couple of years after that, um, through immigration, retirement, injuries, well, we totaled it up at one point from like 2017 to 2019. We lost something like 16, 18 players. You know, right. six or seven of them were starters. So uh, that was really nothing to do with Brian. It was just uh, the timing of it, and uh, he held it all together well. And uh, obviously then he was in charge. During the COVID interrupted years as well and that was a challenge in its own right but like I said earlier leadership was one of his strengths and he kept he kept everyone moving in the same direction I was talking to somebody in the club the other night and he was saying that loads of people you know you listen to intercounty footballers and they're always talking about oh the club the club the club the mm. club but actually for Brian Mullins it was literally the the, oh, yeah. the bit the be all and end all and you'd often see him on the bike around going down to meet somebody and um like taking that role on when nobody else would take yeah. it would be kind of emblematic or stereotypical of, of the commitment that he had yeah for sure and he, he had served in numerous roles in the club and I mean that, that is another huge loss that's going to you know be here but he'd been adult games director as well and then moved on obviously into football but when he was the senior team when he was our manager I mean he was still the guy who was down there before everyone else and the last to leave he was putting up the nets he was taking it you know I mean he was filling the water he was doing everything that there was and in a lot of cases now you know people have multiple different backroom team members and they do all that but he just loved being there and uh, getting involved and like I said always uh, rewarding with a big smile and very enthusiastic there was no negativity with him at all That strikes me as a man with, with no ego whatsoever like you know for someone who has the All-Irelands in the back pocket and yeah. the reputation that he has to, to then go on later in your in your adult life to, to, to do those menial tasks where yeah. you're filling the water bottles and, and fixing the nets and turning off the lights and that sort of thing that probably is it says a lot about him Yeah, humility is a huge thing and uh, in sports you know we build up a lot of players and even from a young age you come across some players who have no humility whatsoever and here you're Brian who you know by all accounts is always in, named as one of the best and you know best ever in his position and you know he never showed any sign that that was on his mind or that he need, needed to be treated differently and you know that whole thing about the car crash I'm, I'm not a great historian now of GAA but I'd been told that car crash story in the recovery several times and the first time I met him though I, again on, this was actually on the football field it was like a I don't know was it married versus single or some one of those games over Vincent's but there he was togged out ready to play he must have been yeah, in his early 60s at that point but he didn't he had one of these knee bandages on that do nothing for anyone <laughs> but uh, he was wearing one anyway and uh, yeah still keen to be involved and uh, you know I was just trying to make chat with him at that stage and I said something about how's your knee and you know without assuming that I knew his big story he started telling me well I was actually involved in a crash a few years ago and you know I recovered and it still gives me a bit of trouble but I, that's why I cycle so much it keeps it going just again uh, just didn't uh, didn't have any airs and grace 
races about what I should know about them or not. So yeah, just playing it all down. Yeah, and like it's 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 one of those things as well. Sometimes a player that's been so heavily involved in the seventies or eighties, by the time they get into their sixties, they're mm. they're they're not recognisable from the player that they yeah, were yeah. physically. But Brian still had that that physical presence, and, oh, yeah. and I know there was probably a lot of uh, maybe not students getting scholarships, but but parents of students getting scholarships who maybe got a buzz off <laughs> seeing Brian and maybe getting excited that oh it's Brian Mullins that yeah, getting the scholarship yeah. off essentially. You probably yeah. saw the same in your club. Pe- people who didn't realise it was Brian, and then they got chatting to him and yeah, got a buzz yeah. out of it. Yeah, no, he was. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, his reputation went to heaven, but like I said, he didn't. Uh, he didn't uh, take advantage of that in any way. You know, he was always still very humble and just uh, got on with the chat with whoever came to speak to him. Yeah. From that academic perspective, it's, it's really interesting because obviously he's a great GA man. Mickey Whelan's a great GA man, but the fact that they had this kind of broader sporting hinterland, I think, is really important. Mm. Mickey, in, in his book, if, if anybody hasn't read it, you should get your hands on it. Um, talks about the other sports that he played, and I know he coached. Um, the Irish University soccer team um, at World Games and, and really benefited from that broader experience and it feels like um, Brian Mullins um, benefited from that broader experience as a young player playing cricket in Clontarf and then rugby for Leinster underage before he becomes a, a Dublin superstar at, at, when he gets to UCD he's not biased in favour of the, the um, GA element of it at all like, and I think that's probably why that whole thing worked yeah, for sure. I mean, there, going back to just as at a young age, there is that whole idea that we shouldn't, you know, force kids into specialisation at a young age and playing multiple sports again that have different features of them tends to be beneficial in, in the long run. So that's on on the physical side, but as you say, on the on the overall cultural side to be exposed to different sports because many sports have very different cultures, you know, and, and practices and so on. And yeah, you don't want to end up being someone who favours one over the other. And as you say, in terms of the the UCD scenario, when you've got actually I don't know how many sports clubs they have there, but you have to cater for all them and they all are well represented in the different uh, committees and you know he used to play with that yeah as somebody involved in, in third level uh, in a sports department i don't know mm. if the department officially called sports um, health and human performance health and yeah. human performance okay great well like is it fair to say that himself and mickey whelan their fingerprints are certainly on the the genesis of that as a field of study that's taken seriously by the academic institutions that it helps to have somebody who's been involved at that level yeah I think I think so I think so sports science was coming as a discipline anyway in, in the 70s and 80s and the likes of Mickey and, and Brian who were proponents of the scientific approach you know that sort they both of had to go away to study it yeah, right? well, yeah they both, both spent time abroad and Mickey in particular had done I think it was his masters in physical education or uh, he'd also done a PhD then when he came back to DCU so you know lifelong learning as, as you know um, but yeah that, that uh, ability for yeah prominent people to give sports science in particular credibility that that does matter um, the programs themselves are obviously very popular then with students you know because they're into sports and they think yeah. you know rightly or wrongly that elite sports is where they want to work but I mean the whole idea of sports science is that there's that exercise component as well and that's got all the obvious knock on benefits for health and everything well that's the bit that has yeah. exploded in the last yeah. decade or so yeah. that has turned um, small companies into unicorns and, yeah. Yeah. and you know everybody's wearing their wearables <laughs> and, and uh, uh, I like the way you laugh there t- <laughs> I don't wear one <laughs> what does that tell you <laughs> <laughs> um, one last question for you we saw doing the rounds at the weekend a goal from Mossy Quinn who's what 50 now at this stage uh, still scoring <laughs> 41 I think is, is the right <laughs> age yeah. he, would, he wouldn't like you to put him too many extra years on him but uh, you're keeping yeah. the band together right? like, yeah well I mean the um, yeah, you just, know, just to point out you did say that they were ageing in 2017 here we are in 2022 it's, and you're all still playing some of, yeah. some of us hung in there but uh, no I mean on a serious note uh, Brian obviously was manager when, when we were relegated senior two last year and uh, you know there was this kind of hope I often hear that 
just um, uh, hearing is the last sense that you lose, you know, and we were all kind of hoping could he hang in there until we actually got the semi-final, got promoted. I mean, he was uh, he was really taken aback by, by that relegation. That really hurt him uh, on a personal level, and he was really keen to, to get us back there. And again, the new management came in, and Brian was, you know, as I was speaking to Nathan, his son, you know, Brian was interested in that every game he possibly could be. So to finally, you know, pull it through and get back to, to senior one around the same time that he passed, you know, there was a, something poetic in that, but it was, it was great, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. And so are you all going to come back for one more year just because you, well, you can't leave it? It's a, long, it's a long winter these days, you know, with the split season, uh, we've, we've a long time to think about it. So A long time to get fit. <laughs> <laughs> or get unfit, yeah. depending on how you go. Brendan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks. That was lovely. Brendan Egan there, former Sligo footballer and uh, St. Vincent's footballer as it stands now, and of course, Professor of Sport and Exercise Physiology at DCU. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with the sports pages in just a couple of minutes' time. If you want to get in touch, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. The only thing you care about. That's right. The football pod is back. If GAA is the only thing you care about, make sure you don't miss the return of Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue. You just knew it was coming on the track. Subscribe to the football pod wherever you get your podcasts. When I was doing my badges, I didn't feel there was enough about being a psychologist because realistically as a coach you should be tuned into the mental health and the psychology of it and I didn't think there was enough in the badges about that and um, what's your opinion on that? From going through the the qualification yeah I, I'd agree with that from my own reflections and speaking with other coaches and you know, on the last course I did there was coaches speaking well we didn't do enough on on psychology and um, so yeah being a coach I and gone through the, the badges, yeah, I think there can be more done. Um, it's tricky because I think some coaches think they can be a psychologist as well and that they should do the psychology. But I always go back to a coach when they say that and highlight that the difference between a psychologist and a coach is with a psychologist, there's confidentiality. Um, that whatever said between the, the athlete and psychologist can't go outside that boundary unless there's real welfare issues and needs to be referred to somebody else or there's a threat to harm to that person. Then the psychologist has to um, notify a body to help that person get help. With a coach, they can't offer that. Because if an athlete comes to a coach and says, oh, I'm not feeling 100% at the moment, well, then a coach has to make a decision between two players. And they're going to pick the player that they feel there's less risk wait because their job is dependent on performance and winning games so yeah coaches need to understand about psychology they don't need to be experts there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullsh** ah no I come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no Ta-da! T-A-A, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Da! Trent's magic <clears throat> helps hit back at critics. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> he's, he's lashed the critics by uh, good quality defending. Oh, no, he scored a goal. Doyle's battle against Lily's mind games. So, uh, Johnny Doyle was out doing press for the, the club championship. And he says he reckons the main problem the ca- counties in Leinster have are from the neck up with the dubs. The challenge for all teams is to get over that because that's the way it has been for... 10 or 12 years now a 10 point defeat is viewed as success by most counties 
Kildare obviously conceded five goals and it felt like the first two minutes uh, against uh, the Dubs in the Leinster final but he says Kildare will be in a far better place going into year two uh, we like to think we have a lot of good young lads coming we've had success at underage level against the Dubs of this world still Dublin are where they are I'd like to think that gap is being bridged but how wide the gap is still is uh, TBC so <laughs> Best of luck in closing that gap, but I don't see. I don't think most of those counties would would view a ten point defeat as a success. I, I know what they're saying. I think they would. I think. I don't think Kildare would. Well, no, other than Kildare, right? We don't think it's a, a success. Like the game has to be in the, in the melting pot. Um, yeah, on Meath as well potentially. Well, Meath probably think ten points. Yeah, I, I, I take that. You know, uh, Meath people, be sure to comment on the on the stream this morning. Um, yeah, I, I think that that gap is going to close. Uh, it feels like it's going to close potentially. Uh, yeah, well, the Dubs not just get their two best generational players back. They did. They did. I don't know. But, but talk of Ben McCormick maybe staying on chair. I know there was the, the the rumored trip to Australia for him, but Johnny's kind of playing it down in some of the papers. Remains to be seen whether whether he will go or not. Yeah, I really hope. I hope he's right. Um, at the same time, if that's what his life journey is, then like you know, go and have your year and and see what life is like. Um, the, the Kildare players went down to visit Miko in the summer there's a great picture of mm. um, many of them um, Dermot Early's there Glenn Ryan's there looks like Anthony Rainbow's there and a couple of others are down visiting Miko in Waterville uh, this summer so um, that was that was very nice to see and he said they all went down to have a chat yeah I think uh, Johnny says in the piece that uh, they had heard he wasn't in the, in the best of health and they went down just to kind of have the chat and catch up with him um, uh, they said obviously he doesn't move on his feet as well as he, as, as he used to but his brain is as sharp as it ever has been uh, kind of a circular thing to it as well you know Nace and Clane are playing in the Kildare Senior Championship final this weekend and I think that was the exact game years ago where, where Mick O'Dwyer was, was unveiled as, as the Kildare manager, Nace versus Lane in the senior final. And I, I, like the, the way Johnny tells the story is that most of the people there for the Nace playing final were probably there to see Mick O'Dwyer unveiled as the, as the Kildare senior boss. You can imagine the excitement in the, in the county when, when that was happening. But um, it's, it's funny, those visits down to Waterville, and I know those Kildare teams trained down in Waterville didn't they for, for much of the much of the time when Mick O'Dwyer was, was manager I know they went down often during the summer and stuff to to kind of um, to train the trip well exactly get the trip and, and, and drink the water down in Waterville but uh, even Johnny was telling us a story in one, in one of those uh, articles where um, Mick was talking during that um, visit during the summer about the, the changes in Gaelic football even in, in coaching and how Mick O trained the Kerry team at one point in the 80s for I think it was 27 days in a row he said um, you know which just absolutely wouldn't happen now. I mean talk about talk about burnout and, and players going too far but um, kind of highlights how, how far things have come since Mikko's days of coaching but great to see that the photo of the lads and, and Mikko in the summer down in, down in Waterville for sure a lot of that uh, great Kildare team you grew up with Ger- uh, oh yeah robbed in the All-Ireland final of course <laughs> uh, McManus is going nowhere it says on the back of the start JP McManus commitment to Limerick GA remains as strong as ever insists Treaty County Chairman John Cregan I, I like I didn't see the speculation anywhere until I went looking for it mm. after everybody told us about the speculation and um, was it not just one young fella from Tipperary who has a long history of inventing things on Twitter. Is that not? not is that not where this seems to be? Where 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 it wasn't? It wasn't a media outlet. It wasn't no. like a, a ITK GAA Stan <laughs> it, account. No, but it highlight it highlights how 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 much silly season it is in GAA at the moment. That we have the Kieran Donny to us common rumours. We have. 
you know, the likes of who's heading to Australia, who's not, Ben McCormick being the one in, in today's papers because we don't know whether he's going or not. Uh, and we have this story as well about JP um, falling out with the Limerick County Board and, and pulling out of the sponsorship deal, which has absolutely been rubbished by the, by the Limerick County Board chairman in, uh, in today's papers. So, yeah, uh, GEA and WhatsApp rumours seem to go hand in hand this time well, of year. Particularly Jack. this year when like things seem to have gone pretty well for Limerick and the... Uh, the hurlers all seem to have had a good time at a dare. It just felt like the relationship was stronger than ever. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. Uh, so look, maybe and sure look, <clears throat> you would say, well, what else would they say? Do you know? We're being cynical about it. What else would they say? Well, true and cynical. Cynical me, as I as I mentioned yesterday, thinking that the you know that these kind of telegraph um, rumours that came out about Donaghy being f- uh, s- uh, founded in Mayo potentially. Uh, well, who knows where the which county these Limerick rumours were founded in? But I would suggest they probably weren't in Limerick. I mean, maybe maybe was common. We're thinking should we get the lads and they had a conversation about it and then somebody was supposed to ring them and then they never did. You know, you don't know yeah, that they're yeah, like the what the, the genesis of some truth in that mm-hmm. and like they should be looking at Donny. Donny's going to be a brilliant. The county coach. Of course, yeah. Gavin's yeah. already cut his teeth a little bit, and it'd be like, what a dream team that would be. Mm-hmm. You're getting sponsors if the two lads are involved. Oh yeah, yeah. You're bringing attention. People it's, are showing up. It's A-list. No one's like, well, like, will I commit or not? They're like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. There's no lads going to Australia when when they hear that the management team's there. To be fair, um, just wanted we didn't do very much on the four-all draw between Shells and St Pat's. Uh, Dufferfield's Derby shows Shells strides. As Paul Butner's piece also in the Star. There's like a there's a feisty. Thomas Tuchel-esque handshake at the end of the game between John Daly and Damien Duff like I mean Duffer is single-handedly making the, that part of the league the middle part of the league interesting because yeah, you know yeah. normally at this stage of the season the title race is potentially over it looks like there's one better team and then another good team who are rising and hopefully Derry will go toe-to-toe properly over the whole season next year but like th- this bit in the middle would tend to not be reported on that much but like the the atmosphere from Talca Park every time is, is so good that it's carrying over the whole of Drumcondra you can hear the crowd and yeah. the other night it was like what's going on it was like oh it brings a bit of interest it's like the uh, in Formula 1 that they have the battle of the midfield where not the people at the back of the grid not the people at the front but some years it's made interesting by a little bit of juice Damien Duff is making that battle of the midfield juicy which which it's uh, it's yeah it's it's making seemingly irrelevant games relevant Maybe because it's Damien Duff, maybe because he, um, you know, has a has a cheeky post match interview every now and again. But uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that there's there's a bit more interest in those in those middle games and and bringing a bit of life to to other Dublin derbies. Because let's not forget that Rovers Bowes isn't the only Dublin derby. Sometimes people forget that. Uh, but Shelburne being back in the big time now in terms of the Premier Division and the tension. Like, uh, wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if Richard Dunn was to take the Bowes? Oh, I'd love it. Just, wouldn't it? Like, I'd absolutely love it from a, from a popcorn point of view. I mean, just put the feet up and. See what happens, and, and and see the first time Shells play Bows and Duffers up against Dunn, and they have a a Tuchel Conte moment themselves on the sideline uh, as as two former teammates and friends. So yeah, uh, definitely making the league more interesting for sure, Duffer. Uh, you got the Irish Times there, yeah. Irish Times there. There was a piece that uh, kind of stood out for me. Obviously, there was the peeps, pieces on um, Mullins. A great interview, Brian Talty. How Mullins and Talty parted their grievances and became fast friends. Uh, obviously, clashed in that 1983 uh, final, 12 Apostles final, but remained close friends up to, to Mullins' death. Um, there was a piece as well that, that kind of struck me as well, and, and it's something that we probably haven't talked about much in terms of the, the World Cup and guitar. But um, there's a piece Kim Wilshire in Paris has uh, at the bottom of uh, page 27 in the Irish Times. Paris Paris joins other French cities in World Cup television boycott. Uh, so Paris has joined several French cities in announcing they will not show World Cup matches.
churches and public places or set up fan zones in protest at human rights and environmental abuses in the host nation Qatar uh, so local authorities in, in some of these French cities Marseille, Lille, Bordeaux uh, Nancy, Rodez and the capital have announced they will not install giant TV screens uh, as in the past to relay matches uh, so city councils seem to be voting on this uh, the, the socialist mayor in Lille one of those to, to come out and speak against this interestingly as well Pierre Rabadan as a former French rugby international, he's the deputy in charge of sport in the, in the City Hall in Paris. He said there was no question of installing fan zones in, in Paris. Uh, when you consider that Paris Saint-Germain are the, the team in Paris, the Qatari-owned and, and operated, um, that probably is the, the standout, the fact that Paris won't be, uh, won't be staging... Uh, like it, It's only a small show of protest against the, the World Cup, of course, and <clears throat> perhaps more needs to be done, but it, it, it kind of highlights how are other countries going to, going to show or otherwise the World Cup and how are we going to talk about it because do you, do you talk about every single game with a with an asterisk over it I know Miguel Delaney touched on this with Joel the other night that it's going to be awkward when it comes around to it because w- when we're talking about the, the games like Netherlands against Senegal or England against Wales or whatever uh, to what extent do we do we mention the Qatari rights abuses do we do it for every single game Is maybe it just yeah, I think you probably just have a like I don't know is it a the trouble is right if it becomes cursory, it'll become wallpaper. But at the same time, like sports watching works, and because you know, uh, Man City at the weekend were playing some of the best football you've seen in that first half. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's one of the the elements that Miguel touched on the other night as well is that you know with Newcastle it's very upfront and and obvious. We, we we've all talked about the Saudi links, but with City it's almost like. It's forgotten about. It's totally forgotten about. It worked. Yeah, completely. Worked. Haaland is, uh, you know, it's all talk about Haaland now and, and, and the goals and people have forgotten where the money came from and where City got their, got their money since 2008. So, yeah, to say sports washing works is an absolute certainty. And, uh, you know, my, my concern is that we'll be obviously talking about moments on the football pitch in the, in the World Cup later in the year, but uh, we obviously can't forget about the... Uh, the bigger story here, and y- you would imagine all the TV networks will will cover it in some fashion, probably at the start of the tournament, and then never speak of it again. But if it's Argentina Brazil in the final, like you know, it, yeah, it'll be amazing. Oh yeah, com- completely, and, and and rightly we should we should focus on the football as well. But um, you kind of want to have the yeah the overarching it, it, story it, here. It's a, a test of modern humanity. Can we have uh, competing and um, important stories uh, in the? Same part of our brain. Is that possible? Or yeah. are we too brain dead at this stage, too ruined by technology to be able to go, oh, there are two important things that I need to focus on both of them equally. Can <laughs> I do this? Multitasking, not easy. <laughs> Probably can't. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about this story because it's in the front of the uh, Telegraph as an exclusive, but it's also carried in the back of the mail. Um, Jeremy Wilson has this story and it's Dr. Willie Stewart who you might be familiar with he's, he's spoken at length we've had him on the show before and he's been over in Dublin at various um, concussion conferences down through the years talking about the impact of um, regular impacts on the brain on sports people they've done a, a longitudinal study now that finds former international rugby union players these are Scottish players are 15 times more likely to suffer the impact of motor neuron disease than the general public. They're also more likely to have dementia, twice as likely to develop dementia, and three times more likely to suffer Parkinson's. So they did a a survey of 400 former Scottish internationals. They linked this with, I think, 1,500 members of the general population, cross-referenced their results, and their findings have been published in the Journal of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and Psychiatry. Um, 
Willie Stewart is, is the guy who proved that football was linked to neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disease as well. So he's got a, a long track record of this. And obviously, uh, motor neuron disease is something that I think would have been spoken about quite as much. Uh, Dottie Weir, I, I think, is the most famous recent um, rugby player who has contracted MND. Obviously, youth fan of Hazen died of it. The former Gloucester forward, it says in the Telegraph here, Ed Slater, has also been diagnosed with MND. But as they say, this is the first peer-reviewed study which makes a direct link to rugby's heightened risk. So he's calling for... Uh, no contract, no contact training sessions during the week. Mm. Um, I think Leinster were saying they only do fifteen minutes contact training sessions over the course of the week, and that'll be in two separate bursts. Yeah, um, and that most of the uh, most of the full bore training has disappeared. Um, so Willie Stewart says they're genuinely really concerned about what's happening in the modern game. So this is. Uh, everybody had to be over 30, right? But most of the people involved that they'd spoken to had played before professionalism. Um, and so obviously before 1995. And obviously the game has got bigger. The players have got fitter, stronger, heavier, faster. Uh, the, the heavier thing, maybe maybe they're not heavier, but they're certainly faster and stronger. Mm. And there was definitely a period where they were heavier, but that kind of has come back a little bit. And so he's very concerned about the impact that this is going to have. Rugby's in a really, really difficult spot when this type of finding is made. Because what like, what, what do you push back with and say, oh, we're aware of the findings and we're taking steps? Like, I, I, yeah, I was listening to... I was listening to Mike Carlton on with yourself and Johnny the other morning talk about Tua Tagovailoa and, and, and the... The serious dangers in, in the NFL as well, but but rugby seems to be in a, in a terrible position. I know these same researchers in Scotland did a, a study on, on professional football as well and, and the risks of heading, heading the ball and, and, and the increased risk you were at, I think it was three and a half times more likely to develop dementia if you're a professional footballer. Um, the concern is, that Willie, Dr. Willie Stewart says in this piece, is that in 20 years' time he would expect that these figures are even more terrifying and scary. Um, 20 years goes um, sorry to tell you all but 20 years goes fairly fast uh, and you know people are going to be we're going to be sitting here in 20 years time with drastically different and, and scarier numbers uh, and nothing will have been done in, in the interim period because um, some sports seem very reluctant to move on from this there should be absolutely no need for, for contact sport during the week or during competition in rugby um, I, I remember reading the Jonathan, great Jonathan Ike biography on Muhammad Ali and he talked about the fact that in, in, the, in the 80s and later on in, in Ali's career, when, when probably some damage had already been done, um, like he used to practice for fights by repeatedly getting punched in the head. And his logic was, well, I, I'm going to get punched, so I need to be prepared to get punched, which looking back now seems archaic and, and ridiculous. But I have a feeling we're going to look back in... It's not quite like the you know looking back at smoking ads in the 60s and saying, oh, look at what people did back then. But it's not far off. I think we're going to look back in 30 or 40 years... Um, at contact training in rugby and, and scrummaging at the moment in rugby and think why didn't we do something yeah they, they look I mean I think there's a fairly obvious call being made by Willie Stewart and uh, in fairness Aine Falvey's quoted here he's the chief medical officer of world rugby uh, he says he welcomes the call for more research and stresses that world rugby has established an independent concussion working group to consider the latest evidence. This enables us to have a constant and open conversation about what changes to the game may be appropriate. 
and he says um, they've already invested more than 10 million in welfare studies we'll continue to build on this work in our quest to make our game as safe as it possibly can be for players at all levels within the rugby family so um, this is a specific research to uh, Scotland there are now calls for this to be much more broadly studied across the world and um, they've actually spoken Doddy Weir is a columnist for the Telegraph they've spoken to him this morning and he says I personally wouldn't change anything about the game I enjoyed the game I also feel that playing rugby was not the cause for my disease I'm delighted for my sons to play the game and have no concerns for them getting MND I was very surprised with their findings it would be very interesting in how they came to that conclusion I find it hard to believe it would be good to see the biomarkers and evidence before I comment more and has also then called for more research into the causes of it yeah um, Doddy obviously fully entitled to his opinion Um you know, you're going to listen to the medical team on teams on this. Uh, that's the the bottom line of the be all and end all here. Like, it, it's just they've been very the rugby's been quite slow to develop and, and move on from all this. Like, do, do they need? Do we need so many games? And like, from a from a fan's point of view, watching watching rugby, and when you hear stories like this, it makes you feel a little bit dirty as well because you know we expect rugby players to to get out there from an entertainment point of view and play loads of matches and take the hits and we all uh, praise the hits when they happen but uh, the impetus here shouldn't be on players because even in the NFL you look you know when a player undergoes a concussion protocol they're, they're going to want to get straight back on the pitch if, if the decision is down to a player um, you know they feel like their job is on the line their career is on the line their position in the team is on the line but um, realistically that the, these decisions have to be above the player and above the coaches Um we can only listen to medical professionals on this. I mean, here's me and you sitting here without any medical degrees, of course. But when you hear people like Dr. Willie Stewart, who we've, as you said, we've had in the show, and, and Ina Falvey, who's been a, a voice in this as well for, for many years, that is concerning. Um, and, and, and look, I don't know where this is going to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but, but if, if these lads are to be listened to, and they should be, you'd be concerned. All right. Well, uh, obviously, we'll be covering that story more in the days and weeks and years to come, unfortunately. It's uh, 8.31 this morning. We'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. A couple of quick comments for you. Uh, Brian Mullins gave me a pre-game talk back in 2006 as Michael Mickey Whelan brought him in to speak to the team about attitude and personal responsibility. Amazing man. Condolences to all the family. Eamon Dawson says, Brian Mullins was my hero as a kid. I started secondary school in Greendale and he walked in the room and announced he was our special class tutor. I was awestruck as an 11-year-old. He was a giant. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Oh, like you see a county player from your like, walking into your room uh, and not one that is so big in stature. Uh, as a kid, you, you don't forget those moments. Uh, Barbalatza83 says, I remember being transfixed as a young lad to those great clashes between Dublin and Kerry. I still find myself judging today's players by the likes of Brian Mullins and Paddy O'Shea, indeed. And um, that's just a, a flavour of the comments. We're talking to uh, Harriet Pryor of the Anfield Rap. Harriet, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, good, thank you. How are you? Uh, what's behind the change in formation that Jurgen Klopp has gone for, do you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because the problem a lot of the season has been that we're conceding a lot of goals. So I think a lot of people were surprised to see him put another attacker in the mix when actually you felt like we need to shore up the defence. But wow, it worked really well. I think he just wanted to find a way to to break through defensive lines a bit more and to play a bit more fluidly because it looked a little bit like we were losing control in a lot of games. We didn't know exactly where the players should be. And I think that formation just gave everyone a bit more of a fluid positional flexibility and, and allowed them to go forward a bit better as well. So... 
I liked it. It sort of shifted between a four-four-two to a, a four-two-three-one, and, and I liked the change in formation. And it obviously, it obviously paid its dividends last night. And Klopp would have been really happy with it. Had there been any sign this was coming? Not really, no. I, to be honest, though, he hasn't had all the attackers available. Jota was out with injury. Nunes had a had a three a three match ban. There was various different injury problems in that attacking line. So maybe this is that this is what Klopp wanted to go with all along, but just hasn't had the personnel to do it. But I like that he he sort of took the initiative to make a change when a lot of managers sort of kept just trying to do the same thing, and it, and it clearly wasn't working. So maybe we'll see that more going forward. Is it in any way involved in the the pressing that they're trying to do that actually having an extra forward allows them to be more aggressive? with that press and, and more meaningful with the press. Yeah, absolutely. I think the defenders were coming under a lot of heat in the last few games for, for not defending well. But actually, that all does start from the front and starts from the attackers with that high press. And some of them weren't doing their jobs in previous games. So I think having that another attacker higher up the pitch and putting the pressure on the ball really high up the pitch meant that Rangers actually didn't get much of the ball in, in really threatening areas. And it, and it worked really well. And a lot of our good attacking play came from winning the ball high up the pitch and playing the ball in. So, yeah, it was, it was impressive. It's Darwin Nunez. You mentioned him already there, Harriet. But um, kind of mixed reactions to, to his season, to his um, start to his Liverpool tenure. But I mean, last night he showed he showed signs. He, can, he you know he can get on the ball. He can he can get into good spaces and, and create chances. But uh, still, just needs those goals to get the confidence back. Yeah, absolutely. I think Klopp's been really clear the whole way through that it's going to take him a lot of time to adapt and he's played in a really different style of team and a different different league as well. So although if someone like Haaland's come over and found it quite easy, it's going to take Nunes a little bit longer. But I was impressed with his performance last night, definitely. And like you mentioned, he obviously didn't get the goal. But he had some really good opportunities, created some really good chances. And I think the way that you can see that he's trying to link up with Trent, trying to link up with Salah was really impressive. So I think as those relationships form more and more and they sort of try and find the spaces each other and it will just grow more and more so yeah I was definitely impressed the, the those defensive frailties you mentioned as well and we've kind of spoken about it already on, on the show this morning Harriet but uh, Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold's um, defensive frailties seem to have disappeared in a vanish according to the back papers because of because of the free kick uh, I'm sure it's still a concern for Liverpool fans but maybe this new formation will suit him better and kind of as you say attackers defending from the front maybe doing some of the dog work for him further up the pitch yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of a lot of the past seasons, no one's really spoken too much about his defensive frailties because he does provide such a spark going forward. But this season, he hasn't been doing that as much either. So he hasn't been creating assists or scoring as many goals. And, and I think so people have been talking about his defensive frailties more when actually, you know, probably levels being similar throughout. But there, there definitely was holes in the defence. And I think a couple of the goals in recent weeks, you can pinpoint to Trent not doing his job properly, but you, you can't make one player a scapegoat. But definitely... I thought he was better positionally last night. I think against Brighton, he drifted a little bit too far into midfield and looked a little bit lost at times. So just keeping him out on that right flank and playing that proper fullback position, which allowed him to go forward, but also allowed him to track back easier, really benefited his game. It's been a perfect sample of how the season has gone so far, where there's the... um, topsy-turvy 3-all at the weekend and then a 2-0 last night. So it feels like, okay, problem, diagnose, uh, bit of a response. It's just that there hasn't been any consistency. We we haven't seen Liverpool build on a good performance and put it back-to-back with another one. So is there confidence that the change in formation is enough or do you still need to see signs of improvement in the form of, say, Virgil, for example, and a couple of other players getting back to the level that was world-class level, essentially, that was allowing them to compete with Manchester City and reach the Champions League finals? 
Yeah, there definitely has been a lack of consistency. But what I liked last night, which I thought was different, was that it was a really calm performance. I think before when we felt we're going to come back again, it's been via a last-minute winner against Newcastle and even Ajax, and then a 9-0. You know, we've not really had any 2-0, just settled games and where we feel we can build from. So I feel last night it, it is a really good starting block. But, you know, Rangers, I think Arsenal are going to be tougher opposition than Rangers were last night, and we've got them to play at the weekend. We've got Manchester City coming up, so they'll be the real test to see how our season can kick on from here and all the players will constantly be assessing their form there's, there's not a second that they'll think from last night that all their work is done and dusted there still clearly is problems that need to be solved and, 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 and things that they need to work on so they'll all be keen to do that moving forward but hopefully that will build a bit of confidence because I, I think confidence is something that's really been lacking I think you could even tell at times last night there is a little bit of confidence that's sort of dropped in the team so hopefully every single win and every single good performance and individual performance as well will, will help the players out and individual their form will just continue to get better because we know, like you mentioned, Virgil van Dijk is world class and this is a team not a million miles after one that, that nearly won everything last season so I don't have any doubt they can get back to that level. Why do you think they're not at that level at the moment? It's really difficult to say. I think you can point at so many different things and a lot of people have talked about a, a lack of confidence, a hangover from last season, a, a lack of investment, the fact that individual form just hasn't been good enough, the fact that we've been relying on players that are either too old and, and too experienced or, or not experienced enough and we haven't found that middle ground. It's difficult because I think if you look back to the COVID season when we weren't playing well, you can point to the fact that we, we lost loads of defenders and we, we had to come up with solutions. This season, it's a little bit harder to pinpoint exactly what's going on. Probably a combination of all of the things I just spoke about, starting slow, not having the same level of intensity as we'd expect. So I think probably a combination of them all. And, and Klopp said in his pre-match press conference before Rangers, everything needs to be better. And, and that's probably what's quite difficult. You, you have two days in training to turn everything around, but hopefully things are now moving in the right direction. We, we have tended, Harriet, I guess, in, in the last number of weeks to focus on a lot of the negatives around Liverpool, but um, we should touch on some of the positives as well. I know Firmino was the man to miss out last night, but if you look at that relationship between Thiago and, and Jordan Henderson, worked quite well last night and there probably weren't many runners from deep uh, on that Rangers team as, as they might be likely to face later on in, in the season but I think Kenny Miller described Thiago as, as the conductor on, on, on television last night after the game and that relationship with Jordan Henderson seems, seems to have worked quite well especially last night yeah, I really liked them playing in a sort of two together. I thought it worked really well with Henderson dropping a little bit deeper and covering and then Thiago having the freedom to, to move forward and push on. His vision, you call him, you know, he constructs everything on that pitch. His vision, the way he passes the ball, the things he sees that you can't even see in the stands when you have the benefit of looking from higher up. He's just really, really clever player. And I think at Brighton, he didn't have his best performance. So he'd have been really keen to come back and make sure he can prove that how, how key he is to this Liverpool side. And last Last night he showed just that with a really a really solid performance and definitely his relationship with Henderson just continues to build. It's just a, the issue that he isn't fit all the time. So how do we find solutions when Thiago is not available and not in the team and got to be really careful not to overplay him as well. But having him back is always a huge, huge positive. And interesting, he didn't play Fabinho last night. He was dropped to the bench from the start. I think he probably needed a little bit of a rest mentally and physically a bit fatigued. So I liked that he, he took the chance playing that to him in the field and thought it worked well and, and Thiago is a special player for sure. We, we should say defensively, I suppose, as well, Ibrahima Kanate and, and Calvin Ramsey returning to training this week as well, which is uh, hugely positive for Jurgen Klopp to kind of have that little bit of strength and depth where, where needed. I know Joe Gomez is, is still there to stand in for Trent. Gomez has had a bit of a, a hard time as well when he's played, but um, at least there are signs that Liverpool are getting some men back and, and you need that strength and depth across the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, there were definitely times in the start of the season when you looked at the substitutes bench and there was just nothing to bring on that would make a real difference or a real impact. And Gomez did have a few difficult games, but there was no one else to step in for him. So definitely really positive that Canate is back, that Ramsey's back in training, that slowly but surely the squad depth is starting to build again because that's what saw us do so well last season. The fact we had such a depth in the squad and we were able to bring in so many different players and give players a rest. And look, it's, it's not long now until the World Cup, but it's such a busy period before then. So every single one of those players, whether they're involved consistently in the starting eleven or not, is going to be called upon at some point. And, and, and it's better to have all of them fit. So hopefully we can keep bringing players back and keep the ones that are fit and stay that way. Nice handy run of fixtures over the next 11 days. It's uh, Arsenal away, it's Rangers away, and then it's Man City at Anfield. Yeah, it's not the uh, not not the easiest run, is it? But I think it will be you know it'll be enjoyable, and I'm really looking forward to having City at Anfield. I think it will be a really good test in Arsenal at the weekend. They're, they're on a really good spell of of form at the moment. So how will they come up against Liverpool? We we tend to do really well against them and get a good result. Will that be the same at the weekend? We'll see. And then Rangers away thrown in the middle there, so that will be a, another exciting game. The atmosphere was was good last night, and I expect it to be like like that next week when we return to Rangers as well. I didn't see any of the post match press conference did did he get asked if the 4-2-3-1 is the way of the future or was that a horses for courses selection last night they'd done a bit of analysis on Rangers and decided actually I want to put all my best attacking players out here and try and get this game killed off earlier is there is it likely that he'll go up against Arsenal with the same formation yeah, it's really interesting. I, I haven't heard Klopp speak yet, but I think Trent said that it made it easier to play with that formation. So I, I do. I, I wonder if they will have that conversation about whether that is best moving forward. It, it's unexpected, is what I'll say. I think Rangers will have expected to come up against a four-three-three. Will have prepared to play like that. And now moving into the weekend, Arsenal will have to be thinking: okay, what formation are they going to play? And they'll have to sort of adapt their game accordingly. And that's going to be a bit more difficult. The fact that we are that little bit more unpredictable can only benefit us. So I think we we might see a bit of a combination between the two moving forward depending on the opposition and the threats that they pose but I'd love to see it against Arsenal I, I just think it allowed us to create so many more chances and, and also we were really good going back and, and when we needed to we had four effectively midfielders dropping back to defend so yeah it'll be interesting to hear what Klopp said I've not listened to it quite yet either so I'll, I'll listen to it this morning and then see but I doubt he'll have given too much away he likes to keep his cards a bit closer to his chest You mentioned Trent's uh, post-match interview there Harriet and, and, and interested to, to gather your, your, your views on, on what Liverpool fans make of Gareth Southgate's um, spurning I guess of, of Trent from, from the squad like is it something Liverpool fans are taking personally like the, the, their boy can't get into the into the England squad or is it a case of well you know what maybe if he doesn't make the squad he can he can fully focus on Liverpool this season or what's the take on it? I think the take is mainly that we'll support Trent in, in whatever happens and, and we obviously think that he should be part of that England squad and we can all see week in, week out we get to we get to witness and we're lucky enough to witness the amazing talent that he is he's had he's had a few difficult weeks and I think that the pressure of the conversation around him being in the England squad is obviously really difficult to take and it, it would be for any young player, we forget how young he still is really I think because he's been around for so long in that first team but you know he's a Champions League winner, he's a Premier League winner, he's He's got so much experience. He's so, so talented. The, the, the reality is that the style of play that, that Southgate, you know, the way he sets up his team just doesn't quite suit the way that Trent fits in. And I think, you no, know, it'll be really interesting to see if he is part of that squad. But we obviously all think that he, he should be. But if he's not, then we won't take it too personally. But we'll just support him and, and be disappointed for him, of course, but support him through that. 
from an Irish perspective right, we're kind of looking on at the, the TV screens and seeing our own Cuevin Kelleher behind Jurgen Klopp last night good to see him back from his three months out with, with a groin injury um, I know he probably will, will be fairly limited to appearances I know Derby next month in the Carabao Cup is probably on his horizon but uh, a good boost for, for not only the Republic of Ireland but also Liverpool to have the option there as well it's really good to have him back. I actually noticed. I, I wasn't sure when he was going to be back, and I noticed he was on the on the bench last night. I was really, really happy with that. I think he's whenever he's come in, and whenever Allison has had an injury, or whenever he has been brought in for the cup games, he's been so impressive. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that he's back in, in and around the squad, and he'll be learning from some of the best in the game. So yeah, definitely think we'll see him against Derby. If not, you know, probably not any sooner than that. But against Derby, he'll have his opportunity, and he'll just continue to build on that experience. Yeah, definitely a really exciting goalkeeper for the future and happy he's back in and around the squad just a final one for me Harriet I know that there was a bit of talk in the, in the, in the papers the last couple of days about the Jurgen Klopp mural uh, being defaced in, in the Randolph Street area I think it was of the city is there, is there much talk of that or I think it was blue paint we were, we were kind of talking we were about it briefly it might have been Everton but actually maybe Rangers makes more sense yeah maybe either one, either one makes sense I guess but was there much talk of this in, in the city I'm not. I've not heard too much to be honest. I've seen a few things on on social media, and obviously it's it's very sad and disappointing for the people that put absolutely hours and hours of work into planning these things and, and doing these things, and you, you never want to see that happen. But you know, it's not the first time it's happened. It's obviously really disappointing and really sad, and we just hope that we can try and limit that moving forward because it's just it just feels unnecessary. Uh, Rafa Benitez going to Nottingham Forest, given that he was at Everton, does it matter to Liverpool fans anymore, or is this like ah, glad to see him back at somebody other than Everton? I heard this last night. It came as a bit of a, a surprise. I mean, uh, yeah, I think we, we wish Rafa the best. I think it, it's, it's clear his time at Everton didn't come to the best end and he probably realised that that maybe wasn't the best move for him and he couldn't do everything he wanted. But if he goes to Nottingham Forest, look, we'll, we'll wish him all the best. And I'm sure he'll enjoy his, uh, his return trips to Anfield if, if they come. In short, you guys are optimistic that a corner has been turned. I hope so. I think we'll, we'll really be able to see it the weekend. Everyone would have maybe expected us to win last night. I think that we were clearly that we were clearly the favourites going into it, and we should have produced a dominant performance. So Arsenal will be a, a really big test to see how how far that step up has come. But look, you can only do you can only play the opposition at hand. We got the three points. That's exactly what we needed. So we'll move on from that. We'll take it. We'll take a bit of confidence from it, and hopefully can kickstart the season properly. All right, Harry. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. That's Harry Pryor from the Anfield Wrap there. It is 8.47 this morning. You're watching OTBAM. If you're with us on YouTube or maybe you're listening to us on OTB Sports Radio, uh, either way, you're very welcome. Uh, also with us, Carl Milani. Carl, you're also very welcome. How are you? Uh, thank you very much. I'm very well. How are you? What's going on? Uh, lots uh, going on. Lots enjoyed the Champions League last night. Uh, Alan McGregor played well, by the way. Jesus. Yeah, it was very good. for him, it would have been six or seven. Probably. It would have, yeah. The save from Salah was the second half. Was was remarkable. Mm. Um, what is he's, he's, he's over forty. He's, isn't I think he's forty or yeah. thereabouts. Yeah, which is, which is really old. Jer. Hasn't gone the Stephen Hunt. Uh, I was like, he needs Hunt. He has an agent. Just dye your hair there. That's how it works. <laughs> you get more money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, only for him, and there was no there was no stop in the free kick or the penalty. No, fair, so no, he did his the best. free kick was excellent. Uh, Liverpool played really well in the first half. I thought Rangers were limited enough in what they offered going the other way, particularly in the first half. And Liverpool really could have been out of sight at half time. Um, but McGregor made. I thought Nunes was probably he could have really done with a goal mm. uh, for his confidence. Yeah. Uh, McGregor made a couple of decent stops from him as well. But I think Liverpool looked quite good. Um, taken into consideration that Rangers probably aren't the strongest opposition that they're going to come up against over the next little while but all things considered um, as Jerry says they're probably a step in the right direction yeah and, and that, that's a good point the, the level of, of football in terms of what, what Rangers bring Celtic are, are 
You have to be skeptical about this Liverpool team. They've like turned the corner about five times this season. You know, <laughs> like well, if they're to lose, you know, let's look at them in three games' time. If they lose to Arsenal and City, but beat Rangers in between, they're in the same. They're they're in, in the doldrums a bit. Like that, you know, in terms of the league position, losing to Arsenal and losing to City won't be good. Both of which are quite likely results, given how Arsenal and City are playing at the minute. Yeah. Um, so I'd be I'd be concerned as a Liverpool fan based on the next couple of games in the league, what that, that they have upcoming. So, yeah, as you said, you're not an easy not an easy couple of weeks for Liverpool. What else, Carl? Well, elsewhere in the Champions League last night, uh, Spurs played out a nil-all draw. Uh, they were in action against Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. Had plenty of chances, but failed to break the uh, deadlock there. Sporting are top of Spurs' group after a 4-1 win over Marseille. We mentioned Liverpool's 2-0 win over Rangers and Napoli out in front in Group A. They beat Ajax by six goals to one last night. Uh, this evening, Celtic in action in Germany as well. They take on Orby Leipzig. Kick-off for that one is a little bit earlier at a quarter to six. Elsewhere in that group, Real Madrid holds Shakhtar Donetsk from eight. In Group G, Manchester City have a 100% record. They take on Copenhagen at the Etihad tonight. That's at 8 o'clock. And Chelsea start the night bottom of Group E ahead of their meeting with AC Milan. And that takes place at uh, Stamford Bridge. And Mikey Letty scored for Shamrock Rovers in their one-all draw with AZ. That was in the UEFA Youth League last night at Tallis Stadium in the second leg of that tie. But uh, Rovers lost the tie and aggregate by six goals to one. In the Championship last night, Jeff Hendrick on target for Reading. They played on a one-all draw with Norwich. Uh, Sheffield United, meanwhile, remain top of the table despite losing 1-0 to QPR. Burnley among the teams in action tonight. They take on Stoke. Uh, Kean Prendergast will captain the emerging Ireland team in their clash with the Pure later today that's in Bloemfontein at 4 o'clock this afternoon the second of three games for the Emerging Ireland side on their tour of South Africa and there's racing at Navan this afternoon the first going to post there at a quarter past one uh, Philip Quinn in today's Irish Mail has um, he's crunched the potential outcomes from the draw on Sunday for the Euro qualifiers mm-hmm. I know I'm not supposed to talk about the uh, international team because we're, we're back in the Premier League and the Champions League exam but anyway I'm going to huh. um, and Philip Quinn has done it this is a really interesting piece uh, so the qualification pots our dream draw right mm-hmm. Hungary Bosnia-Herzegovina Ireland Faroe Islands Malta you take that all day long yeah you would yeah a second nearly dream draw Croatia Israel Faroe Islands Moldova and Andorra mm-hmm. 16 group Grand. yeah yeah uh, nightmare draw here's Bel- where the fear starts Belgium France Greece Slovakia Ireland mm. no thank Oof. you Belgium and France in the same group you just have to hope that they they draw their two games and we win one and lose one against them and is that what we hope uh, like if you have a double header in the international window there against De Bruyne one week and Mbappe the next week you're starting to question everything you're starting to question <laughs> I mean Stephen's uh, time in charge might uh, might struggle um, the results business oh, we've struggled against teams of lower calibre well, we, we, so. we do well we, <laughs> yeah. rattle, we rattle France under Martin O'Neill True. Why, wouldn't we, why wouldn't we do the same thing again and um, so he also has, has uh, the he Good line here. The Euro 2024 playoff path isn't as confusing as that of the Women's World Cup, but it's not straightforward either. It's pretty confusing. Um, basically, 21 of the 24 finalists will be decided. Germany, automatic qualifiers, and then the uh, top two, basically, in the 10 qualifying groups all go through, mm. which leaves three places left for anybody who topped a Nations League group but didn't qualify through the qualifiers. 
So it's 50-50 whether or not we're going to be in a playoff. And then if it is a playoff, that won't happen until March 2024. And that'll be another two-game playoff. Like the one, if we'd got over Slovakia, we would have had to play, was it the North? That was reasonably well explained, I have to say, Ger. You know, yeah, for you something that's Many I, years of practice. I think in international windows now, you, you almost need a degree to understand how playoffs and um, all these things work. I know Kevin Gaban had great fun trying to describe the Nations League to us when it first was was proposed, but yeah, some of the some of the permutations and, and, and groups and, and meanings behind all these things don't make sense to me anymore. Do you want to get England? <laughs> Do we raise our game against England? No, I don't want to get England. No, no? thanks. No. For what reason? Uh, I don't want. There'd be loads of security issues. It'd be terrible. We don't. We don't need that. Like they're also quite a good football team. They're, they're, you know, I don't think it'd be as bad in terms of security as it as it used to be. Uh, it's it just that we'd have to talk about it. Yeah, it would be. A, it would be a, a talking point, an issue. Um, I'd quite like to see it. Quite like to, like to see us in a group. As long as the remainder of the group is reasonably straightforward. Yeah. 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 Um, you're probably going to have one big hitter anyway there's also a, a very succinct paragraph of travel writing here as for the travelling Irish fans the nightmare vista will be Switzerland brackets too dear Israel brackets too far Kazakhstan brackets even further and Belarus brackets grim <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fair um, I guess from travelling perspective from the Irish fans they want somewhere close uh, should mention as well Club Rouge last night oh yeah Atletico Madrid 2-0 I mean and looking at their earlier results wasn't it Porto 4-0 in Portugal I think Bruges uh, fortunes have had a massive turnaround ever since they made that movie about the city like yeah, before yeah. that they weren't even on the map no one knew who they were <laughs> yeah and we didn't we speak about we spoke about Bruges with, with John on the, on the show one morning about um, from a tourist perspective wanting to visit it but they're they, sensational top of the group yeah if they keep if they keep if they keep doing what they're doing in the football pitch because I was at a at Club Brugge United game in the Europa League a couple of years or just at the outset of COVID it was literally as the first case in Ireland was, was, was coming into the news and United beat them fairly comfortably in the Europa League but they've obviously come a long way since then um, as a team um, yeah I'm looking forward to the new Martin McDonough film as well just on that uh, yeah one last thing um, we were talking yesterday about Damien Brown he obviously was uh, in the city of Galway yesterday um, unfortunately he didn't quite get the entrance into the city that he wanted no uh, yeah it was supposed to be kind of half 10 11am yesterday morning where he came into the port of Galway but um, ran ashore on rocks um, uh, on, the, on the beach at 1am so uh, Padraigine's restaurant a lot of people will know it there um, kind of between is it Barna and Spittle and, and he, he had really had no choice he, he noticed himself getting very close to the rocks uh, tried to row out but then again there was dangerous rocks coming towards him and he ended up uh, coming ashore a little bit earlier than expected I watched an 8 minute video on his Instagram yesterday where he explained in, in good detail what happened spent the night in his, in his parents uh, family childhood home and uh, still got his reception into the port of Galway on, on the boat but obviously had really touched land the night before but got really emotional towards the end of it when he talked about uh, a couple of Gardaí uh, meeting him on the beach and uh, just such a like it must have been bizarre I think he said when he stood up his legs he tried to stay in the boat for five or ten minutes but then eventually realised this is quite dangerous to stay when there's rocks right here so got out of the boat took the boat onto the onto the, the beach or onto the rocks and the two guards welcomed him and um I can only imagine what that must feel like. He said his legs were like jelly. Understandable after 112 days on the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> uh, having not stood on proper ground in in months. So, um, yeah, amazing, amazing individual and the mental strength of oh, that guy. You know, sensational, sensational, even. Uh, Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much. Thanks, for that. lads. It's eight fifty-six. We'll. Um 
talk to Damien Brown uh, in the coming days and hopefully have him with us sooner rather than later. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. <clears throat> Chris Waddle at one o'clock is OTB Gold. Uh, Koi Gig, the uh, psychology special, is this week's episode. Our retro panel is Tyrone GA's golden days when they were, of course, the uh, dominant football team of the decade of the noughties. OTB Gold is Paul McGrath at six o'clock. Follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to our podcast network for all the best in the latest sports content. We're back after these with former Premier League footballer Matt Jarvis telling us why you had to be there. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Right, I'm delighted to say Matt Jarvis is with us for this week's episode of You Had to Be There. Matt, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. You have seen some stuff in your time. This is uh, this is an amazing list. Um, was it difficult for you to narrow down? Yeah, yeah. There, there is a fair, but you sort of lose how much you've seen and what you've done. Um, so you, you sort of. You then have to try and piece together bits and pieces that you that you can remember that stick out. So yeah, I've I've got five good ones. Really, really five sensational ones. Um, so let's get into them. I think uh, in chronological order. Am I right? David Beckham is the first one. That is correct. I'm sure you've had this one many a time, but um, just one of them things. I, obviously, I was I grew up a Man United fan, at the, you know, so to be able to go to Old Trafford as a kid uh, to watch David Beckham play for England, score that goal against Greece. And it, it gives me tingles now. Uh, just It was the importance. You know, he'd set up the goal for Sheringham, who'd just come on to, to, to score, to then score. And it was like the 92nd minute. I think it was 92nd and a half minute. Uh, and the importance of that goal and just the whole atmosphere in the stadium, the, it, it was just incredible. Like that, it's so hard to replicate something like that. So, um, just to put some context on this for everybody, this game is in Old Trafford, is that right? Because Wembley is being redeveloped at that stage, and that's, you know that's correct. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, so it's uh, England game. Mass. If they at the time they were trailing two once, uh, it meant that they were going to go to uh, the playoff to get try and get through to the World Cup. So this this goal sent England through to the World Cup finals. Um, you know, it was at Old Trafford. It was David Beckham. It was just 90 second and a half minute it was just the whole importance the crowd the the whole atmosphere it was it was electric um and to be i think i was only 16 years old um was was amazing to to feel that as well being um just being in the crowd and and hearing the atmosphere and feeling it it's funny, Matt. Like we were talking earlier about Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick last night, and you kind of could sense from from his face before he struck it that that he was confident and that it was probably going to hit the back of the net. What sense did you get when Beckham was stepping up? Because I think the whole country, obviously over in England, were, were holding their breath. But you probably got the sense that there was a strong possibility that this was going in the back of the net. Yeah, I think it just things sort of just happen for a reason and timing. And he'd already had a few before, um, and you just put that down and you just think pivotal moments in people's career and in, in time, you just think that moment, he just stepped up, he, you know, Sheringham came to take the ball because he just scored a team and he just was like, no, this, this is mine. And you could just, everyone walked away 
he stood there did his usual breathe you know did his walk up run up stand there waiting and then just as he run up and hit it you just I still get tingles now actually thinking about it it was just it was so so good to be able to see that happen but it's just the importance of the game as well and everything that goes into context with it it was it was an incredible uh, experience it was it was how circular a moment it was too because you said you were you were 16 Matt so you would have been probably 13 at the outset of secondary school three years previous when Beckham was the villain in the in the 98 World yeah. Cup with the kick against Simeone so it was almost like this moment of relief and reprieve for David Beckham that this was the end of all the, the vitriol and hate directed towards him a few years earlier what 100% yeah um, as you say I think you know, you know wrongly he got crucified really for for what he um what what he what happened um but for for to, for him for the as you said that importance and him and he loved playing for his country and that importance of being able to go right my goal has sent us through to the world cup finals um and you could just see it in his face when he scored every player everyone in the stadium was just so pleased and i think that that sort of really helped him personally uh, get over everything that had happened previously. Were you always both an England and a Manchester United fan? Because we, we'd have Andy Mitten on the show a good bit and he talks that sometimes there are Manchester United fans who are Man United fans and they're not actually always automatically England fans that they have an interest in the team um, maybe it's more Daniel Harris who talks to us about this and, and he'd like say look it's just the way it works you know Manchester United is the team that they follow and they go to the away games were you always both? 100% I was I was sort of like yeah, you know, always an England fan um, and then obviously growing up I was a Man United fan and like my sort of idol I suppose was Ryan Giggs uh, that was the position I sort of played uh, and looked up to, so I sort of grew up with that. But it gets slightly different when you then start playing against them, and do, you, you sort of not lose the fan of you, but it's more important for your team to beat them rather than them to do well. So you sort of lose that. So I've always been an England fan to start with, um, out and out, and then obviously growing up, Man United was was my team. And as a matter of interest, whose results do you look for first on a Saturday or yeah. Sunday? Yes, do you know what? It's very difficult. I would, I would probably say that it, I would look for Man United, but then it's all like all my previous clubs that I, that I would look for. Um, so it's a very close, very close one. But I'd probably say, well, not at the moment anyway. I wouldn't be watching the United clubs <laughs> at the moment. Uh, Beckham, obviously one of the great free, t- free kick takers of all time. Matt, who, who, who would be number one in terms of the the free kick takers you you played against or played with yourself? Um, well, just. Just because it's fresh in my mind, I think James Madison. Um, you know, he scored the other night against Nottingham Forest. His free kick. He he's a special player um, and a special free kick taker um, for sure. Um, Dimitri Payet, I played at West Ham. He was also uh, pretty impressive uh, on a set piece delivery. So there's there's you know I, I'm just trying to rack my brain now. I think there's so <laughs> many players that that was so good at dead ball situation but it's it's nice you know it's nice to see for instance James Madison because I've seen him after training practice and practice and practice and then you can just see it in games now he steps up and you think yeah he, he's got a real chance of scoring every single set piece he takes yeah, it's funny, isn't it? We don't really think about the hours and hours and hours and hours of practice that uh, goes into making Beckham's goal in particular. If anybody just doesn't remember the Beckham goal, it's not from, it's not close. It's not like a, yeah. something like near to the edge of the penalty area. It's miles out. He just whacks it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of them that you, 
you just expect it, I think, even though it should never, like it is, you should say it's too far out, but he, it's, right, it's sort of central in, in the pitch as well. It's outside the box, it's central. It's, it's one that he's bent it sort of over the wall, the wall, but then towards the top left-hand corner. So it's the keeper's thinks he's going the other way to the keeper's side and it just goes into the opposite corner and he doesn't even dive. It's just, it's, yeah, it, it's something that you, you would spend hours and hours practising, but even in that situation, the pressure of it and, it and everything about that free kick, that moment is is down to hours and hours of practice, but it's, it, it was a peach of a, of a curl over the wall into the far corner. I think the, the Alan Green commentary on, on BBC Radio 5 Live was fairly fairly famous as well at the time, and obviously the TV commentary as well, but I think there was a video a couple of years ago when the 20th anniversary was happening, that, or last year, where Beckham uh, said, well, he, he appeared in the video on Instagram to be listening to the commentary for the first ever time. All right. Of course, it could have been set up for, for social media purposes, but um, it's funny, Matt, how, how commentary for a big moment like that adds so much weight to it. It's kind of like the Aguero thing or Solskjaer, you know, you, you remember the moment so much more because of good commentary. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it makes it makes it even if you're watching the game or even if you you play it back now and you you say about the Aguero, that, that's exactly it. It's that's as famous as the goal because everyone knows it. Everyone goes Aguero, and you just you just can instantly picture yourself where where you were or what you were doing at that particular moment. It's yeah, it's it's really iconic. Um, let's move on Aaron Lennon in an FA Youth Cup game so I, I expect there wasn't a huge crowd at this this is for Gillingham against Leeds um, yes so this um, yeah so this was it was the first year so when you go into the youth team at uh, an academy you you play in the FA Youth Cup and my first year so you actually play the year up because you have the two years of, uh, of YTS it's, it used to be called so you played the year up the first year so our draw we got we got leads away so we played at Ellen Road um, and you look through the team sheet and now anyway you can look back and there was like Aaron Lennon James Milner I think there was Kilgallen there was, there was someone else as well And but at the time you didn't really know these players and Aaron Lennon I mean yeah, we lost 4-0. I think I played right back with my right back. You know, I was supposed to be playing, you know, as a, as a winger, but we literally defended the whole time. He scored a hat-trick, hit the bar and hit the post, and it was just devastating. Um, I, you know, at that age, I think we were 16, he, he was just so good, streaks ahead, you know, he was so quick. Um, and obviously, he was, was, uh, had three decent finishes. Um, and then it was just... Yeah, it was a massive eye-opener to, 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 to see how good these other players were at the same age as you. Well, you say uh, you were 16 because we, we just Googled the match report and it turns out he was only 15 at that point for Leeds. He was obviously playing up as well. So even even like uh, a year behind you guys in development, he was still running the game from the the left wing. Uh, or was it the right wing, did you say? The right wing. Um, right wing, yeah. Do you follow his career as a, as a result of that then from that point on yeah definitely definitely I mean I, I was I fortunate I played against him many 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 times um, and I was probably still defending with <laughs> at the time I moved over to the left left so I was playing left back with my left back to try and defend him <laughs> but he, he, yeah you do look at their careers because you, you pick it out and you think wow he was impressive and then you just follow and you think, oh, yeah, you know, he has developed, he's continued his process. And 
and he, he's still playing now and he's uh, he, he was it was one of them that you knew what he was going to do but you could just never stop him he, he, he would just he would be on the right he would shift it a little bit a little bit and then just open it up onto his right hand side knock it down the line and you knew he was going to do that but you just couldn't get near him he was so quick so sharp um, and you know he, he destroyed full backs for years pretty good um the the thing about Milner in that team is he basically plays a few more games and then straight into the first team and then that's the start of his career as an adult was he was do you remember Milner at all from that game I, I do I mean I, I picked out Lennon because he scored a hat trick and hit the bar and hit the post but Milner was exceptional he run the show in that game literally run the show um it was, yeah. You know, I gave it to Aaron Lennon as, as because of the goals and assists. But if you're looking on a whole round performance, James Milner was was there. Um, he was everywhere. He literally just he, he epitomised what you would want from a young lad. You know, his energy, his passing, his defensive, his his leadership, um, and you can you could easily have said that at that moment in time you, you would be putting him in like not like you could never envisage his career as, as it's as it's been but you would say okay yeah he's got a real chance and um, so you follow both of their careers because they were both very similar as well even though Milner sort of played in that game I think he was more central they both went to the wings as they went into the first team and then you, you can you see they're very different players but both very adaptable in in the way that they they played so it was um, yeah it was able to follow both their careers with with huge uh, relating back to that game going wow yeah they destroyed us like <laughs> <laughs> Miller uh, Matt is just a definition of a professional if you're to, to listen to the accounts of, of all his teammates and managers over across the years like is that something that I know you you only would have obviously played against him at that age but you know at 15-16 is, is that something that's that's fairly obvious from that point straight away you can tell that the players at that age who are going to go on and become the leaders um, you you can yes uh, it's, it's all about attitude it's all about uh, commitment you know the sacrifice that you can you would make you know he was definitely going to be one of them that wouldn't have been going out with his mates and doing everything that normal people at 15 16 were doing you know you, you would be the ones that would be staying extra at, at training you would be you know, working on your game, you would, you know, you'd be thinking about other things, as in, you know, your roles, where you're supposed to be on the pitch. You'd be watching videos, that that sort of thing, uh, even at that age. And he would have been so close to the first team, as you said. So he would have been watching the older pros at that time. Leeds had a, a yeah, they were incredible in the first team as well. So it, he had that opportunity to learn very quickly. Um, but it's there's a lot of distractions at that age, so you do have to keep focused. And he was definitely, as you can, as you said, you know, professionalism. He, he's he's got that. Is he, if you could build a person that you would want to play football and have that mentality and everything, that's James Milner. Do you have any recollection of Andy Kyo? I just I just look at the, the team, the Leeds yeah. team there, and Andy was uh, obviously went on to make, um, just looking here, 30 Irish caps as well at senior level, and I think he was in Australia towards the tail end of his career. But well, he, he was a teammate of mine at, at Wolves. Right, for, yeah, for yeah. He, so, yeah, um, incredible player. Uh, he We won the championship, and he was a massive part of that. His link play between midfield and, and striker, because he scored some very important goals, but it was the... The unselfishness running and closing down and making, creating space for others in our team at that time. And the link play, as I said, that was, 
he was he was great for that. Um, and he's had an exceptional career, and he's only just retired, hasn't he? I think last mm. year. So uh, yeah, I, st- I still speak to Andy every now and again. He's a, a top top guy. You've got the Brazilian Ronaldo next uh, for Real Madrid against Manchester United in the Champions League quarterfinal in 2003. So despite the fact you're on the books of uh, Gillingham, you're still going to Old Trafford, still a Manchester United fan, still going to games. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of them that uh, has been every game, no. (laughs) It was a long way for me. I was down in Guildford. So (laughs) I was one of them, uh, you know, Surrey, uh, Southern Man United fans. So it wasn't wasn't one of them that I would be be going week in, week out. Um, But it was just... That that game, seeing Ronaldo, um, he's... You know, if you, you talk to anyone about that, that was a bit older that's, that watched him or has watched any videos or, or been around with him, he was different to anyone that you've seen as a centre forward. You know, his, his pace, his strength, his dribbling, um, the composure of finishing any sort of chance, he was just a standout performer. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone... Um, Get a standing ovation from the uh, the other the other team as they come off. You know, he 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 come off towards the end. He'd scored a hat trick. His whole performance was fantastic, and the Man United fans all stood up and clapped him off. Um, and that doesn't happen. You know, it does not happen in any sort of Champions League game. You don't expect that to happen. Um, but it, it was just his performance. Um, even though Man United won the game. Um, He's scoring three goal, three goals at Old Trafford, and the way that he, he, he the first one was a great run in behind and to the far into the right hand channel and just inside the box, and he it was like a snapshot, and it, it went into the near post. You know, maybe uh, Bartes could have saved it. I don't know, but <laughs> it was just the the initial run, the, the snapshot that that's that's what he had. He didn't have to have a huge run up to take a shot. It was the just the power that he had in his legs that you just just half a half a step and bang, um, and then he it was just being in the right place at the right time. Striker's instinct for the sec- second one, a really good play by Real Madrid to cut through United, but just being in inside the box for a nice tap in. And then the third was he picked up the ball in midway, I think just not too far outside the box. He's turned and he's just had another touch and he just sort of struck the ball uh, sort of on the laces. But it's, you know, one of them that it doesn't sort of, it lifts up high. It's like the, the way that Ronaldo strikes the ball now, as in Cristiano, where it, it, you pop, he pops it up and it goes up and then loops back down. It was one of them that just, it just took off and it went high and then dipped. As soon as it went over Bartes, it just dipped into the back of the net and it, you, it was like silent and you're just like, wow, that was, that was incredible. Um, so it's the only time that I've ever seen him as well. And obviously live, like it's just totally incredible um, to, see, to see someone like that and perform at that level as well in the champion, Champions League. It was just... Uh, a, a ridiculously good evening for himself personally. I remember watching that match on on TV as well, Matt, and and, and like, it's one of those games where 
young kids in school or, or kind of kind of copying techniques thereafter. I remember the Ricardo penalty shootout for Portugal when he, when he took the gloves off and everyone in school the next day was was practicing penalties with no gloves. Uh, similarly for that Ronaldo, like kids thereafter for for weeks uh, after that game were were trying to practice those those shooting techniques and uh, not an easy one to perfect. No, not at all. I think people are still trying to do that now. Um, you know, it, yeah, he started it, you know, and then Ronaldo, Cristiano sort of taken that on. Uh, and now everyone's trying to perfect this strike that you, you try and sort of punch the, the foot into the ball downwards where, and then it balloons up and then has that huge dip at the end. It's just at that point in time, no one had ever seen it. So it was it was just like, wow, how has he done that? So as you said, everyone wanted to practice that. Everyone wanted to do it. Um, and I just think as well, even though he was such a, what was it, what they called, uh, Gal- um, Galacticals. whatever they were. Yeah, they were the Galacticals, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he raised that up mm. then, then. And then obviously you, know, you see then Beckham arriving there a bit later as well. And he raised that, Ronaldo. He really did for what? for what he was about as a striker and he was then big moments in games and and playing at the the highest level he he was that and he could just switch it on and and you just leave you he was so good the step overs and the guy used to love going around a keeper as well he <laughs> just to go up one on one with a keeper they would just fall down he would step over and go the other way it was incredible there's a shout at that game and those games between United and Real Madrid. Um, neither of those two teams, they kind of, they both break up a little bit over the next while. Like neither of them, I'm fairly sure that's the year that in uh, Real, sorry, AC Milan play Juventus in the final, isn't it? That's they both. It yeah, and it's a nil all, and it's like, but that's the end of the competition. Whereas actually, that's the Champions League. Those two games between. Real Madrid and Manchester United as well we all fell in love with it not the brilliant defending in the final and oh yeah it's a great example blah 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 like whatever that that quarter final that was football yeah exa- well it's it's like in, in recent years when you watch and you've got Barcelona played like uh, uh, they and then Paris Saint-Germain and all that you, it's not a nil-nil games These, you want to see exciting football you want to see goals and that that Man United versus Real Madrid, you got all of that. You got great goals. You got silky skill. You got amazing players on, disp- on display that are showing off their tricks. And yeah, no one really wants to see amazing defending in a nil-nil game, do they? In the Champions League, you want to see the, these, you know, incredibly gifted players to to show their skills, and and you want to see goals, and you know to. To have seven of them is, is 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 always nice to see. I think I remember reading somewhere as well that Roman Abramovich was in the crowd that night in Old Trafford. And that's that's, <laughs> that's where he fell in love with football. Yeah, that's where he decided to, to plough the money into into football. So one of those sliding doors moments. Like Matt, aside from aside from Ronaldo, you mentioned like I think Figo and Zidane had maybe won Ballon d'Ors as well as Ronaldo in in, in the years kind of preceding that match. Like a, a team full of talent, and even to see the likes of Figo and Zidane in person must have been quite special. The, uh, gifted people like Zidane just made everything slow down. You you think he had so much time on his on his like every time he received the ball he was in no rush. Everything was at his pace. He was so silky smooth like every, like step overs, little Cruyff turns. Everything was just effortless. Uh, he was I would say the first person in that sort of. Um, position, you know, because Ronaldo R nine Brazilian Ronaldo was electric going forward and step overs, but but he was all about pace, power, and scoring goals. 
Figo, again, it was good. He was able to slow the game down and just had that class. Everything was about that, that, that team at that time was, it was class. It was effortless. It was, everything was crisp. You know, the passing was, yeah, everyone wanted to do little, little give and goes. It was all about scoring fantastic goals rather than just tap-ins. You know, they did do tap-ins, but it was the play before that got them to that part was passing through the lines, little flick around the corner, stuff like that. It just, they were there to entertain and they were just so good at handling that pressure of big games as well. And you, it, you see there, there's an aura on the pitch with them and other other players, you they just respect them so much. You've got that extra little bit of uh, grace with them because you, you were you know, you were probably scared of playing against them to be honest, but you were just you were so pleased to be on the same pitch as I might expect. Yeah, I uh, I got to interview him at Web Summit and backstage he was everything you would want him to be, kind of uh, hilarious and impish and like you know <laughs> uh, talking about the good times and basically his he was taking the team to Ibiza to celebrate if they survived uh, relegation because he'd done it last year and they had a great party and it worked oh that has to be top of your list of oh, like, interviewees 100% yeah, yeah Jesus. Uh, right let's move on we have Aguero Aguero it's against Newcastle in the Premier League in 2015 what, what yes. was it about this um, just the, the <laughs> scoring five goals in 20 minutes um, <laughs> it's just uh, one, my, one of my mates is a Newcastle fan, so because obviously I wouldn't be going to watch Man City, um, <laughs> um, and you know, so I wasn't in with City. I was in with uh, Newcastle, and at the time I was at West Ham, so it was all a bit weird. But um, just seeing, I, I apart from now with Haaland, I would say for me in being able to watch and play against them, but he's he's something incredible one of the best Premier League strikers we've ever seen um, his goal scoring ability was was so good he was just he could score all types of goals he was so strong he was quick he was just able to be in the right place at the right time whether it was a, a, like a simple tap in a curling shot or or just put your laces for it he was able to do it all um and to you know they were they went one 0 down in the game and then he scored five goals in twenty minutes. It's just you can't do that. It's the Premier League. You can't do that. Um, and he just ripped up all of the you know all of the books and was like, "Yep, yeah, no problem." Twenty minutes, scored five goals, and he's still hungry for more. Like all all goal scorers do, they they just want to score goals. He he's I just I sort of put like Jermaine Defoe in that sort of bracket that just wants to score goals. Uh, it doesn't matter how what score is, what the team's doing. You want to score goals, and Aguero was like that. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you can how you can compare that to anything else of scoring five goals in a Premier League game in twenty minutes. Um, and he, he put them back to the top of the league. So incredible, incredible striker. I was fortunate to play against him quite a few times. <laughs> he didn't score five against us, but. <laughs> <laughs> It's similar, Matt, in, in terms of like looking at the, the City team currently, and when you see Haaland, and obviously, understandably, Haaland's going to get a lot of the credit. But when you see the the balls he's being supplied with from from Foden and from De Bruyne, like just looking at who got the assists for those five Aguero goals, four of them. I mean, you had two from from David Silva and two from De Bruyne. So, uh, I, not to take any of the sheen for, in this conversation away from Sergio Aguero, but you need those players behind you supplying these balls in. 
100 percent you know you can't do it all yourself uh and you know he was very lucky and harlan's extremely lucky as well that you've got players like that that, that put it on not i would play you even just see harlan's goal the other day where de bruyne just bends it round Varane to for his goal like there's not many players in the world that can play that ball um so he is fortunate but he is in the right place at the right time. Aguero is always, he was always in the right place. Right? That's why these players can pick him out. He doesn't need to look, um, it's instinctive. You know, it's, you've got the full package though. You, you know, because you're a good player, you're in a good side. So then you've, you've got the players around you that are going to be able to, to score that, uh, to set them goals up. Um, and as you talk about Holland, if, if, if he can stay fit and more importantly to him, if Kevin De Bruyne and Foden can stay fit, then, I think they're going to be breaking all sorts of records this season. Notable as well the, that those Aguero five goals just reading here from the, the BBC match report going into the game as you say like without a goal in open play in 595 minutes in all competitions hadn't scored in the Premier League in 424 minutes since uh, a game against Chelsea on the 16th of August this was on the 3rd of October so not only has he, has he scored five but he scored five after a considerable drought do you know what I didn't even know that as well so that is uh, well there you go it just shows what, what uh, once you let once you get one in the, the floodgates open I bet he didn't stop scoring after that but that is you know it, as, as I mentioned about you know strikers just want to score goals and it, and that's probably what you know after going on a little bit of a drought it's getting that first goal and then that's it your confidence is back and everything just starts coming and but five in 20 minutes is pretty impressive. What do uh, the Newcastle fans make of having uh, a West Ham footballer in their midst? <laughs> they didn't see me. Right? <laughs> Hood up. <laughs> they don't see me in there. No, I was, um, I was uh, under the radar. It was only for my mate who's a uh, Newcastle fan that I was there, really. In the corporate box, Matt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately I was not, no. <laughs> Uh, one last thing, um, you, you picked him uh, playing in a match that you weren't playing in. I don't know if you're an NFL fan, but um, there was great footage this week from the previous Super Bowl where the Kansas City Chiefs were up against Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the wide receivers for the Buccaneers were looking over at Patrick Mahomes going, this guy's a magician, well, how did he do that? I can't believe it. Are there times when you're on the field against players and you're like, oh, gee, I cannot believe he's doing this to us. This guy's that special. Yeah, I, the, the, there's so many that I can think of, but one that sticks out in my mind was it was the first year we I was at Wolves. We got promoted and we went into the Premier League, and we played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And after about five minutes, I was chasing, and I mean chasing. I was sprinting at that. You know, your first few games in the Premier League, you're sprinting around everywhere. I had. The ball was with Ashley Cole. He passed it into William, who passed it into Hazard, who passed it to one matter. And you're like, I couldn't get near any of them. They were flipping it around a corner, stopping it, shifting it. You know, William does that, stops the ball and shakes his right leg a little bit and then good moves. And you just couldn't get anywhere near him. And one matter, you just, he was so good. And you just, you, at that point, I was just like, wow, this is like, welcome to the Premier League. It was so good. They were so good. Um, but it's them games that sort of make you want to improve and make you want to be like them. So you you sort of just try and take it on board. It was just it was a huge eye opener. Uh, the last one you have here is actually in Dublin. It's uh, Leo Messi against Celtic in a preseason friendly at the Aviva. What what stuck out about this for you? It, I put this in because 
it wasn't because he scored, you know, six, seven goals. It was because it's the first time that I'd ever seen him play live. Um, <clears throat> and he is, you know, arguably, I'm a, you're not, I'm a Ronaldo fan, but arguably them two, you know, you're not going to see anything like that, really, of what he's done for the game and what he actually does in the game ever again. Um, Kevin De Bruyne will come close and Haaland and Mbappe, but what he has done is just in- incredible. And his, it was a pre-season friendly, you know, he could have just strolled around, but what he does is the way he controls the ball, the way he controls the game. Um, I just needed to, I needed to get him in somewhere. You know, I would have loved to have said the Atletico Madrid goal that he scored, but obviously I was not there. Um, but that, he he just it was just mind blowing sitting and watching. We we weren't you know competing in that thing. We just went to the game because uh, we were out there on pre season as well and just watching him. He was just so he makes it like I said about Zidane. He makes it effortless. He glides with the ball. He just shimmies and people just drop and he goes the other way and he was so good. And I think that is you know I say he's when it was in his peak. I mean he's been in his peak for about twenty years it seems, but. He really was like everyone was fine. Suarez was there. It was it was a, a really good um, Barcelona squad. Although they didn't all play in, in, on that day, it was it was just so nice to watch him in pre-season and, and see the way that he he goes around uh, the pitch and, and what he brings to that that team. I suppose he just he led everything. Everything went through him. Everyone was just giving him the ball, um, and he, he was a delight to watch. Tell me, were you? Did, did everybody go? Did everybody get tickets? Were you kind of a ringleader going? Listen, Messi's playing. We should go and see this. No, I think there was quite a few. I don't. Know, I, I think it was the, the whole team went. Right. Um, and we, yeah, we just sat there. I mean, he come off after about I think it was about sixty minutes, but it was it was uh, it was just you know, and pre and pre season are things to do. Oh, Barcelona are playing Celtic. You're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll go to that. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Um, and yeah, it's just when you get that opportunity to go and watch someone like that play, you've got to take it. Um, and I'm, I'm very pleased that I did. Uh, taking those things off your off your sporting bucket list is, is so important, and getting to see Messi that's something I, I want to take off before before he retires inevitably. Like we, we have this conversation quite often, Matt, on the on the show in terms of things you want to see in a sporting sense. Like people talk about the you know whether it's the Monaco Grand Prix or, or an NFL game in London or whatever it might be. Do you, do you have anything more that you want to tick off uh, over the coming five ten years? Uh, in terms of sporting bucket list, um, I guess events. Yeah, um, I've sort of since I've only been retired about a year, but I was one of them footballers that was silly and didn't really play golf during the time of playing football. So I'm only sort of now starting to get into it. So I've been to a few of like the PGAs and that, but I'd love to go to a, like a Ryder Cup or something like that. That's you know, and because in golf everything's always obviously it's individual sport. It's but once you can get that sort of team morale and team atmosphere going in in something like that, it's it it would be something that I definitely would like to go and experience for sure. Rome's a good town to go out in if you're uh, going to the next one. Um, one last question: When you were in Dublin, did you get to go out and have like a night out, or was it like strictly uh, running, running, running in preseason? How can you not go out? I was going to ask is that the X-rated after dark stories that we'd have to get you over for to tell properly? One hundred percent. I mean, we've been to Dublin many times on pre-season in all different clubs, and I've been to Dublin 
I, more than I can remember for Christmas dues and, and all sorts is the is probably up there with one of the best places I've I've ever been for that sort of evening. It's nothing better than live music and and and, and a squad of, of, of players all together is is pretty impressive. Matt, we, we are suckers for um, a bit of buttering up here, so you say all the right things. Uh, that's a great episode. You had to be there. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us, Matt. Cheers. Pleasure. Just so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. We are going to be back tomorrow morning where we'll be joined by journalist Mark Wilson to reflect on Celtic's night in the Champions League. Offley legend Johnny Pilkington is going to join us on the line as well. Always great to speak to him. We'll be talking with Irish sprinting superstar Israel Alatunde and much more besides. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.